Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no popcorn. We're finally, finally back after months and months and months. It's episode 42. It's the best and worst of 2021, the 2021 Jamboree that we're recording in the middle of March because, you know, we've all been very busy and life gets in the way and what can you do? Norma Howard, welcome back after quite some time. Hello. Yeah, it has been. I'm nervous. (laughs) I feel like I'm out of podcast practice. So um, this is going to be a little bit loose, a little bit. Wild, a little bit fun. Uh, it's gonna you're going be to be, be great. We're all going to be great. Sure, we have Dave Higgins here to steady the ship if necessary. He who also hasn't podcasted in three to four odd months. I feel like you, you, you will be the water carrier of this game. You will be the Ingolo Kante, you know, <laughs> making us look good. Uh, hopefully, my abundance of audio clips will do that for us. So the the format is we have a bunch of awards essentially based on twenty twenty one films. Films released in twenty twenty one. Where do you draw the line, though? I mean, like there's some stuff which has come out in Ireland in twenty twenty two, but came out in America and other places in twenty twenty one. For me, it's Irish release dates. That's how I do it for the calendar year. I hope we all adhere to that. But if not, that's fine. We'll There'll just be a see. lot of calling out. <laughs> will there be fun? Will that be fun? We'll, we'll just see how we go. But before we get going, right, I think what we should do is, before we get into the awards, let's just get a, a bit of a kind of, to, to settle ourselves, um, why don't we talk about a massive 2020, 2022 release that we've all seen at this point, uh, The Batman. If you are justice, please do not lie. What is the price for your blind eye? The hell are you supposed to be? 
I want you guys' opinions on The Batman. Norma, you've seen the film. I did. I saw it last week. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of just grand. Like, there was, like... I don't know. It's tough with such, like, a big production. It's been getting so much promo and everything like that. I was surprised at how kind of clumsy it was at certain points. A lot of jokes and stuff that weren't really landing. The length, it's just way too long. Like, no need. There were scenes that had the arse absolutely dragged out of them for no reason. Um, wasn't crazy about Paul Dano's Riddler, but like, I don't know. I think he did the best he could with what he had. I thought Colin Farrell's Penguin was brilliant. Catwoman was pretty solid. I quite liked Zoe Kravitz. I don't think she was given like... Not even the best, like, story points, but I don't think she was given great dialogue. There's times where, like, uh, her lines just were, like, falling so flat or quite cheesy. I couldn't quite connect with them. Robert Pattinson was fine as well. And, like, he did his moody thing. He looked the part. He looked like the Batman. I don't know. They're, and they're obviously going for this, like, weird internet incel sort of storyline thing and how he's wrapped up in that and I get that they're like modernizing the story of it and it does feel like a modern Batman like none of the villains are as fantastical as previous um, installments of Batman or anything like that Um, there is a little clip at the very end which does not have me excited (laughs) for (laughs) the next Batman um, involving another Irish actor and I think we all know what it is. <laughs> I'd be surprised if anybody didn't, but... Yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean, it was very, very on the nose. So, big tease, I mean, forthcoming villain. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I... Yeah, I just... I didn't find it that... I wasn't like, oh, yeah, can't wait. I think, like, when the next one comes out, I'll probably go see it. But, yeah, it just didn't... It didn't really, like, set any... I don't know. Didn't light up anything for me. Didn't blow you away. Dave Higgins, I yeah. think you enjoyed this more than both of us. I did. I definitely enjoyed it. Um, had an interesting screening where I think that this is the first Batman movie. I think maybe Returns got a 15s back in the day, but it's like rare for a big tentpole movie now that's not like Deadpool, which is like its its whole existence is to be edgy, that I got a 15 rating and I uh, went on a Sunday afternoon and, you know, got in early. It was like, strapped myself in for this monstrous movie. And then I just noticed that there was like people coming in with their kids. And I was like, okay, some of them are like 12, which is fine. But then there were actual like five-year-old children. And I was like, have they seen the trailer for this movie? Or like, <laughs> have they done, have they done, have they done, have they done the research here? And within like the first 10 minutes, it's got this very incredibly atmospheric haunting opening where, you know, it's just through the lens of a camera following people around a house and it's like it's really uncomfortable um and then you have the reveal of uh paul dano's the riddler which is great and a great scare really well earned um and then a scene of absolute brutality in that i think involved some manner of pig squealing maybe i was just adding that in in some weird hitchcockian way um so then the rest of the movie i was just like Feeling uncomfortable for how uncomfortable these poor children who are watching this <laughs> three-hour movie were feeling. Um, I think there was a point at about an hour in where I was like, I think, you know, if if all goes well here, this could be like the best that we've had so far as a Batman movie, um, both in terms of 
how visually assured it was and like they they got they got the world like I'm, I'm big into Batman as a kid with the animated series and a lot of the a lot of the graphic novels that they're they're taking from here year one and the long Halloween which is a favorite of mine um there's a lot of like the Arkham games in here and I just feel like they got the world right in a way that say Christopher Nolan never did where he was just like hey it's Chicago but it's also Gotham City this actually like felt like a world and there was a care involved in it in both its creation and the color scheme it looked squalid it looked disgusting um I'll, I'll I'll get the first seven reference in like you know it's perpetually <laughs> it's perpetually raining much like the unnamed city in seven is um and I just loved how kind of calm and methodical the pace was to begin with it was it's very 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 slow and I was like well this is not what I was expecting um so I was totally kind of taken by the by the pacing and felt like I was in good hands um as it as it goes on, um, I think that it's where it falls are in its kind of its bigger moments. I know a lot of people are kind of giving big props to the the car chase scene. I didn't think it was great, and also it essentially was all there in the trailer, which is kind of you know the curse of the modern movie. Um, its final third, which I suppose when your movie is three hours long, is one entire hour, really falls apart. Um, it's kind of its big action sequence both in its execution and also how uncomfortable it is like I don't I don't want to give a full spoiler on it but like um using using that kind of iconography of like shooters in a public area particularly when that's something that happened in a screening of a Batman movie felt really 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 uncomfortable um and you know maybe that's what they were going for but in terms of um yeah it, it it didn't it didn't feel learned to me while i did think that the kind of um the the incelification of the riddler that made a lot of sense it was just a very very stark image um i thought pattinson was great probably the best batman not the best bruce wayne not really bruce wayne at all um and I enjoyed I enjoyed Dano as the Riddler. I think I enjoyed everyone. Um, Totoro's maybe given it a bit more too much. He's like he's trying to go toe to toe in terms of ham with Colin Farrell, but like I mean Colin Farrell is playing the Penguin. He's got the prosthetics. Like you know you want to go big for something like that. Well, uh, Totoro kind of lays it on a little thick. I thought sorry Kravitz is great. Um, I enjoyed the fact that in a blockbuster movie. Uh, the two you know male and female leads actually have chemistry and there's a charge there between them um and the michael giacchino score is great really loved it um much like norma said i'm not super excited about where this might go if that means three hours of what was being teed up uh, i thought that was a little clunky but i mean that's the modern superhero game you got to have that in there somewhere it's kind of an expectation um I think Matt Reeves did pretty well to make like a, on one level, incredibly uncommercial three hour superhero film. Um, but Dave, I know you're getting ready to <laughs> run this over in the Batmobile. Um, 
What did you think? Yeah, I'm going to have an incomprehensible car chase for you. Um, so, no, I, I didn't dislike this film. I didn't hate it by any stretch of the imagination. And oddly enough, I think I will go see it again. Um, I actually missed the first, like, two minutes of it. So, like, when we got in, because I went to see it with uh, with Mick Pope, and, like, you you bank on... It's on a five. Cool. There'll be at least 15 minutes of fucking trailers. So we got a pint beforehand, and then, like, scarpered in, queued up for popcorn, got into the screen at, like, ten past five, and boom, I was like, that looks like the opening scene of the film. Oh, fuck, it is. So I missed the kind of, you know, the, the, the camera watching the guy. It was literally just... It was right before the Riddler showed up, so, like, I missed very little, but... I felt like I, I, I that is one of my most hated things is missing the start of a film and I think if I've missed the start of the film I probably just wouldn't go I was tripping over people trying to get to my seat because <laughs> it was like... it was fucking pitch black phone out people filing in and I was like I kept saying sorry as I like stood on people's feet and like knocked over their popcorn and I was like oh this is a nightmare um so that was stressful to begin with not the film's fault though that's my fault um yeah, it's fine. It just didn't really take off for me. Um, Colin Farrell is tremendous. He's having an absolute ball, and he plays it perfectly. He's genuinely fun. Uh, it's been said, but it should be said again, the prosthetics and makeup job on him is genuinely incredible and should win a fucking Oscar. It's shocking. I don't know how they did it. He looks like a completely different person. And I've seen some weird kind of backlash. People are like, you know, why? Uh, basically people are saying, why didn't you hire... A big fat ugly scarred guy instead and it's like 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 are we doing this like it's like, <laughs> like it's, and i think colin farrell's amazing i think he's a wonderful actor i think he's become i think someone said like you know he's a he's got the looks of a leading man but he's but he's a gifted character actor at heart that's the way it's been for quite a few years now i think um <clears throat> i'll watch him in anything really um uh, even when he phones in i'm just happy to see him and in this he was great i don't know if i need the fucking hbl max penguin series that they're gonna do but like i'll watch it now because he was really good in this i thought jeffrey wright was terrible um i thought he was written really 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 badly as as lieutenant gordon he was just Basil Exposition constantly. Like Batman like picks up a riddle and Gordon reads it out and then goes, What do you think? What is it? Do you know what it is yet? Huh? Do you know? And I'm like, shut up. Let this fucking breathe, please. Um it's fine. I wish I liked it more. Um the as for where the sequel might go, the tease at the end, I kinda feel like that's a misdirect. It wouldn't even surprise me if they didn't even commit to that actor as that character. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. I think if you tease it, you kind of have to do it. It's clearly going to make a ton of money. There'll be a trilogy. I like Robert Pattinson quite a lot. I've always been a fan of him. There wasn't a lot of differentiation between him and Bruce Wayne, but that's kind of the point. I didn't really have an issue with that. I really enjoyed the nightclub scenes. They were shot well, and crucially, uh, most films get this wrong. Social Network got it right. Most ones don't. Uh, it felt like you're in a loud nightclub where you, people couldn't hear each other, and the audio and the mixing was done quite well. Very much enjoyed Robert Pattinson stalking around through a nightclub with eyeshadow on, looking like fucking Trent Reznor circa 1994. <laughs> that was a real treat for me. Uh, I thought Zoe Kravitz was excellent. She's just a great actor, great presence. She can do pretty much anything. Um, yeah, I wish I loved it. I just thought it was okay. But I do kind of want to see it again, which kind of surprises me, even talking about it now. I will just say, like, honourable mention to Andy Serkis, who just gets treated like shit for <laughs> two and a half hours. It really does. Um, just absolutely tearing into that man. And then, he like, spoiler, he ends up in hospital. And I was like, is there anything else this man could take? Like, leave that job. Why, are you, why stay there? But the best part is, when he ends up in the hospital and he wakes up having almost been killed, the first thing Bruce Wayne says to him is, you lied, you lied to me. To me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, good God, give this man a break. Literally like the, like just coming around to consciousness. He's like, why didn't you tell me who I was? Yeah. It was just like, oh, poor Andy Serkis. Yeah. Even though I thought he was actually like, he's fine in the role, but it just felt 
bad who's just getting shit slung at him for I'm gonna throw a, a quick spo- I'm gonna throw a quick spoiler into the film because I think this is a fun bit of pub trivia. So if anyone hasn't seen the film, maybe skip ahead by like a minute. Um, did you catch the fact that uh, Peter Sarsegaard plays the DA guy who uh, gets blown up in at the funeral scene? So that means that Peter Sarsegaard and his wife Maggie Gyllenhaal can both say that they've been blown to bits in a Batman movie. That's interesting. Good for them. What a power couple. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wonder it's if that a tenuous was, kind of thing. I have to wonder if it was deliberate casting, though. <laughs> like, you know who we should get for this? <laughs> like, the husband like a, of the previous, yeah, glowy. Quite, quite a big actor for a very, very, very small role. Yeah, yeah, and he did his job. I don't know. Look, listen, maybe it's better than I think it is. I gave it two and a half on Letterboxd. I wouldn't mind going to see it again, but I found it just very fucking dull and boring. But who knows? Maybe I just wasn't in the right mood. But let's get in the mood for. It is, in fact, our our annual late, better late than never, I would say. And in fairness, like that, there are some YouTube essayists who like do their best of twenty twelve and twenty twenty one. Like it's fine, you know. Once you get to it, once you commit to it, and that's what we will do. That's what we will do here. So we're going to go through films that were released last year, twenty twenty one, January to February, Irish calendar. But we'll see if there's any kind of overspill because it, it was that weird thing of. Films coming out, films not coming out, pandemic still affecting things. Before we kick it off. Do we think 2021 was a good year for cinema or a bad year or an indifferent year? Norma Howard. Um, I think overall it was probably not a great year. That being said, there were some surprises, some things probably towards the latter half of the year that came up that I watched in very quick succession that kind of redeemed it a little bit. And there's a few things that I would say... I went looking for so stuff that like just with regard to the fact that the Oscars is on in three weeks time and obviously that includes the start of 2022 as well so we won't be touching that but um but even a lot of the stuff that's nominated for the Oscars I'm a bit like meh whereas some of my choices are more things that have not been nominated (laughs) for anything whatsoever that's good you know, being on the kind of outskirts, going against the grain. That's what I want. Dave Higgins, what do you think? I'd agree with Norman, by the way. I think it wasn't a great year until the latter half when it actually became pretty okay. And I actually had a very good top 10 coming out of it. Yeah, definitely a good year, not a great year. Um, I mean, just like it, on, on a very kind of simple level, it's like we had a lot of big filmmakers coming back. I feel like the year, the year before 20... Oh God, 2020. Apart from the fact that we had like the overspill of like what were the Oscar movies that year that got released in 2020, the rest of the year was pretty bad and, you know, kind of showed up in how bad a lot of the Oscar movies were last year. But like, you know, we had a new movie from PTA. We had a new movie from Spielberg. We had a new movie, two movies from Ridley Scott, you know, quality varying. Um, And then you also kind of had like exciting movies by first time directors like the aforementioned Maggie Gyllenhaal and um, Rebecca Hall's made a really good movie. So there was good stuff from like kind of the established order. There was really good stuff in kind of the indie world, um, both from first time directors, um, kind of great performances from actors who, um, you know, kind of tend to be the the punchline of a joke a lot of the time. Um, we had a Leos Carax movie, even though, you know, it, we, we didn't love it, but um, if you were to be like, is the state of cinema in a good place? I think so. Like, um, you know, we still have the the established order, some of which will be releasing movies later this year, which we'll probably get to at the end. 
and lots of new and interesting voices both behind the camera and in front of the camera so um good but i will say that like nothing genuinely like rocked my world i suppose okay well really pro- really setting up <laughs> i was gonna say that is, that is so the keep perfect... listening yeah, yeah. keep listening for the next three and a half hours yeah yeah <laughs> The perfect spirit with which this episode is intended. Well, we'll start off with our very first award, shall we? Which is uh, the John Travolta Award for Most Curious Failure of a Performance. And so the way it's going to work is we'll all have a selection for this. Um, In some cases, there'll be clips. I've got some clips. And yeah, it's essentially just about like, you know, as the title says there, a performance that just didn't work, that just kind of was distractingly bad, I guess, uh, in that regard. So... I'm going to go first because I've got a clip of this um, and I would say, I don't want to spoil what this is because I want you to hear it in its in its, in its its fullness, but I will say this is a pivotal scene from this film. So uh, if, you know, how, how more vague can I be? It's a nothing film that dropped on Netflix and no one really cared about it. Uh, but if you, if you, if you don't want to know what it is in terms of this pivotal reveal, again, just skip forward by a minute and I'll, then I'll tell you who it is. Let's go. I killed a man. Do you hear me? I, ki- I killed a man. A boy, actually. 19 years old. Joseph. Still, still, still a boy. Why? 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 I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because I, because I, I, I could. I don't, I just, I just wanted to punish him. I wanted to punish him because I, I was angry. I'm just so, I'm so angry. And I, 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 I just, he, he, he did something and he, and he hurt, hurt someone. He didn't, he hurts. Did he hurt someone? Um, he, 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 I don't, I don't know. He hurt someone. Please, please. My, 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 my dad. Uh, just, please, I can't, I can't kill you too, Emily. That's, uh, it's Jake. Hall there, who's normally great, I would say, being pretty awful in a film called The Guilty, uh, which was directed by Antoine Fuqua. It was a COVID shoot, I believe, because the director got COVID. And it's very much like a pandemic enough thing where it's one guy in a room for most of it. It's a remake of an excellent Scandinavian thriller of the same name from just a few years ago. And he plays a, a, a 911 operator uh, who's clearly got some kind of personal demons and someone calls in and says they've been kidnapped, and it's a race to the finish to see if he can save them via the medium of his telephone. Um, the original, I think, is really, really good. I think the lead performance is excellent. Uh, it's very tense. It's done very, very well. And I was really hyped to see what they would do with a Hollywood remake, particularly with my boy Jake in the lead role. And I think uh, he makes every wrong choice in the book. He is continually shouty, sweaty. It's very tick-heavy performance as well. He's just kind of like, you know... He's just always, like, physically doing stuff, and yeah, it's just, I was kind of shocked by it, because I, I leaned into it straight away, I was like, oh no, I was like, this is this is wrong, whereas in the original, the, the other guy doing it is much more subtle, it just wears the kind of gravity of the situation on his face really, really well, I think he has a couple of kind of blow-up moments, but J.J. Hall just thought, I'll just shout, and I'll just give out to people constantly throughout this movie, and then I'll just stumble over myself and really, really go for it. So it is truly the most curious failure of performance, because it's an actor who I rate very highly, and I can't believe he got it this wrong. Dave Higgins. Um, I also have this exact performance, but in a different category, so I'm going to skip ahead <laughs> and just say that this is my oh God. They Knew Award, um, <laughs> which is... Uh, 
after uh, Mark Ruffalo's uh, wonderful explosion in Spotlight. Um, basically, they give me the Oscar moment. This really felt like it. Um, yeah, I can't really add much more to what you said, Dave. I don't think I was really looking forward to the remake because I was like, you know, I love Jake Gyllenhaal, but uh, Anton Fuqua and Nick Pizzolatto, he of True Detective fame, aren't really like the kings of understatement when it comes to, uh, you know, when it comes to what they put out. Um yeah, the the original is like kind of like a, a quiet, muted Northern European kind of masterpiece in its own way. Like uh, it does incredible things. Uh, this just basically looked at every decision that it got right and was like, what if we go the other way? Um, yeah, a, a truly, a truly terrible film. Um, <laughs> will I will I jump onto my first while I'm while I'm chatting here? Yeah, um, please do. Yeah, my my performance is from someone who I originally um, quite liked when they came on the scene um, as a writer, director, actor, um, a lot of like goodwill towards this person in the indie world. They've continuously got bigger and bigger and I now absolutely hate them. Um, the, the finest example of just like celebrity, like completely consuming someone. Uh, it's also... I'm just going to get my uh the my Roger Ebert I hated it hated 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 this movie memorial award out of the way uh Taika Waititi as Antoine in Free Guy Oh god I can't Jesus believe you watched this I can yeah I can't believe you watched it either I was like cycling um, through things being like who the fuck is he talking about So um Taika Waititi plays the kind of the, the lead head of the video game in which uh, Ryan Reynolds is a, an NPC in. And he's just like incredibly obnoxious. And I get that that's the point, but it's like it's such a, an overdone performance um, from someone who has been like quite funny, but I find is like is really losing it as he goes on. And um, I, I found Jojo Rabbit to be horrific <laughs> and i'm just so uninterested in anything that he's doing now um which includes the new thor movie um i guess that it was baked into a movie that i absolutely thought was disgusting um that is supposed to be this sort of uh edgy retort to kind of the i guess something that the matrix uh resurrections is doing where it's kind of talking about sequelitis and it's uh you know, it's trying to talk about how major studios are, you know, just churning out the same old stuff. And here's a movie that's different, but then it's also like triumphantly uses the iconography of like Star Wars and Marvel movies for like this big cheer at the end. Um, I, I yeah, I absolutely detested the movie. I detested the performance. Um, I'm, I'm glad I've got it out of the way, <laughs> both of them. So, uh, Norma, what what about you? <laughs> I feel like there was like an extreme amount of anger of that in my John Travolta award. I'm not so much angry as I seem to be just generally disappointed in this. So my choice is an actor who came on the scene in a TV series that everyone lauded as like amazing, incredible. He's amazing. It's fantastic. And I never watched that TV series. And then any film I've seen him in since, I have not liked his performance or I've just been generally kind of annoyed by it. So mine goes to Rami Malek in James Bond, No Time to Die. <laughs> I saved a life once. I think that had more of an effect. Why is that? 
Saving someone's life connects you to them forever. The same as taking it. They belong to you. I'm not very good at talking about myself, so I brought a memory box. I thought this might interest you. I thought it was an incredible opportunity to do something interesting. It's not an amazing film, but like the idea of being a Bond villain, there's just... You could fucking do anything. You could do anything you wanted. And I thought he just went so boring, so like pathetic. It was just like a wet rag of a villain. Um, it hit the delivery of his lines. He like, it just, I wasn't crazy about that film in general, but I think he plays a major part in what made it so boring and let me down a lot in it. Um, Obviously, I know there's like there's stuff there with the writing and it changed over writers and all that kind of crack. But I just thought he was so, so bad, disappointingly bad. Because again, when Mr. Robot came out, everyone was like, this is incredible. He's an amazing actor. He's absolutely fantastic. And I've never seen Mr. Robot. Anything I've seen him in since, I've just been like, I don't get this guy. I don't get it at all. I don't know why you would cast him as a Bond villain when he just does these really like standard stereotypical villain-esque like facial things even his voice like the choice like listening to his voice during that film made me want to get sick at points and again I wasn't even like angry at him I was just like this is just bad and disappointing and I just don't want to have to like look at him in the film anymore um which uh, that sounds really really harsh (laughs) but um but yeah that, um, <laughs> that, uh, that film is such a mess. Like, it is such an extravagant mess. It's so but I, all over the like, place. I couldn't even be angry at the entire film. It was just like... It's got, um, at least, it's got that guy from the video for Territory by the Blaze, though. As, Do like any a, of us know his name? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, one uh, Higgs will look it up there. The guy um, from the plays, but he's it like is, he is pretty good. He's like lead henchman, and he gets quite a lot of screen time. I was like, oh, I can't. Like me and Mick went see, and he Mick was like, "That's the guy from the terror." I was like, "No, it isn't." And then like the more I went on, he was like, "It's definitely him." And I was like, "It's not him at all." And then like an hour and a half, I was like, "That is him." I, I mean, like, he was a better villain than Rami Malek. He sure it was. was boring, um, annoying, like annoyingly boring, and just like deflating of the tone film, especially seeing as I'm trying to think of like what was. Who was the villain before in the film beforehand? Christoph Waltz. Oh yeah. So Christoph compared to Christoph Waltz, Javier Bardem, like he doesn't like he doesn't stand up to any of that, even a tiny smidgen at all. And it's just like I'd be embarrassed if I was him. There's also a very confusing Bane from the Dark Knight Rises problem going on with that character because like you see him at the start of the film in a flashback sequence where he like terrorizes Leia Seydoux's child character. So, and he looks about 30 years of age in that sequence. So smash cut to 30 years later, presumably. And he looks 15. He's now 16. (laughs) Much much like Bane in Dark Knight Rises where it's like, wait a minute, is this character meant to be 65? Like, like, this makes no sense whatsoever. I have to believe that they got him on board and went, we want Rami Malek, end of. So he signed a contract and then they went, let's write the film. (laughs) Um, And then they just wrote a character and he had to slot into it. Like, I just don't think... I don't think they wrote that character, auditioned a bunch of people and went, Rami Malek is the best choice. It, like that that scenario just, there's no way that happened. He definitely was just straight up offered a Bond villain and 
said yes. And then they wrote a completely different character to what he's capable of doing. And maybe he is capable of putting in an incredible performance as a villain. But there was nothing, nothing in that. Can either of you, um, can either of you remember the character's name, by the way? Safin. It is Only because I googled it. <laughs> I will say real quick for, for this exact purpose. Before I throw to Higgs, um, Mr. Robot is excellent and he's excellent in it, which is all the more curious as to why everything else, I agree with you, everything else I've seen him in, I'm just the, like, nope. The only things I've seen him in are Bohemian Rhapsody, which in general, like, bad film anyway, so I don't know, like, and he, he did his performance and he did his thing and he did the Freddie Mercury thing, grand. Um, I saw The Small Things. The little things. Oh, that's the little terrible. Things. So bad. It was so bad. <laughs> and is, he's so bad. That is a shocking thing. Jared bad Leto's film. bad. Oh. Um, so, and I'm trying to think of, like, is there anything else I would have Denzel seen him in? Denzel is bad think, in that movie. That's a bad movie. I don't think there's is. anything else I've seen him in. So he's you've yet seen, to prove. You've seen him in The Master. He's got a small role in The Master. <gasps> okay. I've never oh boy. seen the Here we go. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm jumping off this call now. Nice talking to you guys. So I, I said, I'm going to throw a uh, friend of the podcast, Ahio Droni, under the bus. I said to him, like three years ago, let's sit down and watch The Master. And then one night I was working and I came back and I was like, what you get up to? And he was like, I watched The Master. <laughs> I was like, Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I and he was like yeah after you suggested it I was just I looked it up and I was really interested and I was like yeah me too I was also interested what a guy unbelievable um, so I absolutely will 100% oh, um, watch the film anything on uh, anything on do I get my PTA card revoked <laughs> uh, Higgs has to make that decision but Higgs anything on Rami and anything on No Time to Die before I move on um, until Norma mentioned um him in No Time to Die, I'd literally forgot that the movie existed. Um, <laughs> I think, I think like the one of the real, well, no, I, I'm going to rephrase that. The fact that No Time to Die was delayed by the COVID nineteen pandemic by about a year and a half really like took the steam out of like Rami Malek as a good actor or like certainly a good like leading man put him at the front of your movie actor. I haven't been able to go back to Mr. Robot again, like a show I really liked because I just find him hilariously terrible in everything now. Uh, I haven't even seen the little things, but um, yeah. Um, I mean, he's got, he's got, he's got, he's, he's got a role much like everyone else in Hollywood in the new Christopher Nolan film. And he's also in a new David O. Russell movie. So maybe there's a, maybe there's a comeback, but yeah. Um, I find it hard to square off like um, movie movie star Rami Malek and you know his performances Elliot and Mr. Robot like they're they're almost two different people to me um, and the Bond film yeah just super bland super Bond you know okay um, we'll move on to the you could have gone for a more like James Bland <laughs> uh, well, we edit that it doesn't work <laughs> uh, let's move on to the Mark Ruffalo they knew award referencing his amazing spotlight speech that didn't win him an Oscar but very much the give me the Oscar moment the give me the Oscar award where someone kind of just lays it all on the line and gives you everything Higgs you've given us yours haven't you Jake Gyllenhaal and the guilty that, that, that was your that is correct Cool. So overacting in the extreme, that kind of situation. Um, here's mine. It's kind of a twofer. This is a very short clip, but I'll elaborate. Can you keep a secret? Father, son, and the house of Gucci. Oh, yes. It's Jared Leto and more to the point, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga in House of fucking Gucci. Um, 
I mean, where do you begin? I, I just thought that this film was terrible. And I mean, it's weird because like I, I feel bad going after Lady Gaga because she's clearly great at a lot of things. And I quite liked her in A Star Is Born. But this to me was as good as she is in that film. I thought she was as bad here. And this just felt every time she was on screen, I just saw an actor acting. I saw someone desperate to project, someone who absolutely wanted to win an Oscar. And in the end, she didn't even get nominated, which was kind of a surprise because the whole thing was about like her press tour for this and just some of the stuff she was saying and just how clearly into it she was to a maybe kind of gauche degree. And on that note, I have a couple of uh, short clips of Gaga elaborating on her process and that kind of stuff here's one of them either which is i mean i know that we could be saying we're giving the movie away but we know what happened because this is real life and i do have to say um i drove by where mauricio was shot and i just wanted to take a second to say that this this movie is very fun and this movie is so beautifully made by ridley and giannina and everybody involved Uh, and also it is about the loss of a life that is a real life and i remember driving by and i felt that pit drop in my stomach because i was so on my character and i thought what have i done and uh we made art and we made art out of pain okay uh that's one and let's have one more quick one and this is fine like 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 creating backstories for your character of course that's what actors do but there's just something very kind of practiced about this or something so here's one more blast of gaga i wrote like an 80 page biography uh about her uh myself and it was something that i worked off of and i read all the time to to, to just get the story her backstory inside of me and that music wasn't added by me that's whoever put up the clip um yeah i just i mean like she's a hell of a performer I couldn't buy her in this role. This film has a ton of problems. Uh, even in one of her quotes there, she said, like, it's a very exciting film. No, it is not. Uh, like, Jesus Christ, this makes the Batman look like fucking The Raid or something. Um, and I have to say, like, I mean, Jared Leto was obviously doing his wildly over-the-top Super Mario Brothers impression, but, like, at least that was, like, camp and ridiculous, and that's kind of what I wanted the film to be. I just saw Lady Gaga. There's one scene towards the end in particular where her character makes a decision to do something horrible, and I just all like I, I like it was written all over her face. I was like, "This is just acting. Like you're acting so hard." And it took me out of the film, a film I really wasn't enjoying to begin with. So yeah, it's got to be Lady Gaga with a you know maybe she can split it with Leto, who again is just this cartoon character. But like I don't know, I, I bought that more. Have you seen this film, Norma? No, because. Big reveal for my, I just couldn't be bothered seeing this award because <laughs> I didn't bother to see it. I think at the time when it came out, there was so much buzz about it and all those Lady Gaga things like you go onto Instagram my on my Explore, and it was just all these little clips of her saying all that kind of shit like that, the 80 page biography. And I was like, it's only 80 pages. What kind of biography is that? <laughs> um, and so much promo and then all the Ridley Scott kind of thrown in his comments and blah, blah, blah and all this. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just not going to watch it. It fucking flopped. Maybe, like, like maybe flopped. I will watch it at some at some stage. I don't know. Like, it sounds like a really interesting story, but even all the casts that are built around it, I'm just like, I don't know. Should I be bothered? I mean, it's very long. It's very dull. It felt about six hours long. It's, I watched it's, one Ridley Scott film already from 2021. <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> Do I have to watch another? Um, I, I, one film probably, per director per year. <laughs> you'll, pro- you'll probably get around to it. Higgs, were you House of Gucci? 
person? I also didn't catch it. Um, I <laughs> yes. intended to, but I was put off by the runtime. And yeah, it, it seemed like a weird movie for Ridley Scott to make. And um, I kind of hate how the trailer looks and I hate how the movie looks. And I love that Ridley Scott has his like his late phase bromance with Darius Volsky, who's like the king of desaturation. But like, I need a movie like House of Gucci to pop. Like, it's it's probably an obvious thing to say that like, this is in the Ryan Murphy territory, particularly with, I guess, some of the performances that are going on in it. And again, this is basing it solely on uh, clips I've seen online and, and trailers. Um, I will get around to it out of probably Adam Driver completionism. Um <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> he's good in it to be fair um it's it's very dull i mean like it's it, yeah you're right it should be camp in the extreme and like moving at a clip but it's just really fucking boring and empty okay listen we'll move on norma uh your choice for the mark ruffalo award uh, they knew give me the oscar moment i do have a clip it's yes. quite long I've cut it down. Um, okay, excellent. But I will say, it's it's, it's, about, it's about it's about a minute, and boy, <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. Let's go. I've been rehearsing all day. I have been up since four this morning. I have been trying to write a song for a week, and I am nowhere. I was afraid that you'd be afraid if I told you that I was afraid of intimacy. I've been telling you how unhappy I am for months. You don't have a problem with my problem. Maybe the problem's simply codependency. Everyone's unhappy in New York. That's what New York is. I was wrong to say you were wrong to say I was wrong about you being wrong when you rang to say that the ring was a wrong thing to bring. If I meant what I said when I said rings bored me. Yeesh. Now, so that was a clip from Tick Tick Boom. Um, that particular scene is actually it's based around the song called Therapy, um, and it is Andrew Garfield. Um, who wins my award because I wasn't crazy about Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, I actually really liked, so it's based on the life of Jonathan Larson, um, the lead up to him just before he wrote Rent, which is like his big statement musical that actually opened off-Broadway. He actually died the morning that it opened, um, very tragically. And Rent is an incredible musical. I love that musical. So I was really interested to see Tick, Tick, Boom, um, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who I'm maybe not as excited <laughs> to see anything by. But I did just feel at the centre of this film, Andrew Garfield plays Jonathan Larson, and it's just, it's just so much of it is just like, he is dying to get that Oscar. He is working his fucking ass off. He has got big hair, big facial expression, big voice. That particular clip, the song Therapy, it's done in tandem with, like it's a duet with uh, Vanessa Ann Hudgens. Um, and anytime you see that clip anywhere online, people are like, give him the Oscar immediately. This is incredible. He can do it everything. I'm like, just because he can act and sing simultaneously does not mean he's getting a fucking Oscar. Can we all just relax for 10 seconds? Um, and I think even in the interviews that he's done since, he's had this big love in with all these other actors. And I do really think he's trying to, I feel like he took a break for a while. I didn't see him in a lot of things. And this is like his big fucking moment. He's been nominated for Best Actor for the Oscars. He won't win. 
Um, there's a lot of people campaigning online being like, he deserves to win, blah, 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 blah. It's just not an Oscar film. And I was like, I think it actually is. I think Lin-Manuel Miranda has designed this to be as Oscar sweet as he can possibly make it. Um, like the film just has that kind of sheen on it the whole time that it's very, it's very clean. It's extremely performative. Um, it makes lots of nods to other musicals, but particularly in this, I was just like, I couldn't get him on board the Andrew Garfield train. I haven't been on it in a while. Um, yeah, I don't know. Higgs made a face there. I just, I find him annoying. I just find him annoying. And I thought, thought this performance was actually just too try hard. It was just so like, oh, I'm a tortured artist type thing. It just kind of rubbed me up the wrong way and I didn't end up actually enjoying the film that much because of it. I do have a runner-up. I had a runner-up in Leonardo DiCaprio and Don't Look Up. Oh, God. Mainly because that scene when he has the breakdown that's on live TV, I was just like, fuck off. And then just seeing so much of... All the stuff online of people just being like, this is an Oscar-worthy film. Did he get nominated for Best Actor? He didn't. No, he didn't. No, no. but it's nominated for Best Film, right? Which is disgusting. It is, yeah. Disgraceful, utterly disgraceful. I feel like Dave is going to be revisiting that later. So <laughs> weirdly enough, I kind of like, I kind of somehow blocked it out of my brain somehow, which seems impossible because like our next award is going to be I hated, hated, hated this movie and that should be my winner, but it isn't my winner, but no, we'll get there in a second. Uh, but yeah, it, I just, I gave him runner-up because that particular scene is so much much he's just screaming adam mckay and him just trying to be like this is the fucking point this is the film this is what everyone needs to be paying attention to and we deserve to get awards but that's their like like, that's their big network moment and it's like no yeah and i was like oh please i hated that film so much uh higgs higgs you made a face there when andrew garfield was being torn asunder (laughs) thrown under the train that i got off I yeah I, I I like Andrew Garfield maybe it's I I what well, I just rewatched the Social Network the other day, um, I enjoyed him in that new Spider Man movie I thought he was really good I thought he was always a good Spider Man trapped inside a very bad Spider Man movie um, I recently watched Under the Silver Lake and I really enjoyed him in that um I think he makes interesting choices he doesn't make a lot of movies but um, I think when he does make them like even whether it's like um. 99 Homes was a movie I really liked. It's kind of a small indie with him and Michael Shannon and Laura Dern. Um, I think he's good. I, I haven't seen Tick, Tick, Boom. I probably will get around to it. Um, and then I guess the other movie he's in this year is The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I will never watch. Yeah, I never, ever want to see that one. Fuck me, the trailer alone. As much as I love Chastain, <laughs> I will never watch it. It looks so bad. It looks terrible, but she might win the Oscar. So on the Andrew Garfield thing before we move on, uh, the rehabilitation project of this guy has been unbelievable in the last kind of six months alone because like Spider-Man No Way Home, which I watched last night, by the way, which was perfectly fine. Um, he like obviously won over an awful lot of people with that. And that film has made almost two billion at the box office. Tick, Tick, Boom as well has proved to be a huge hit, I think, amongst kind of just an awful lot of people online. And he's also very like game, like like he'll go on chat shows and, you know, he'll, he'll, like, he'll laugh at himself and he'll be over the top and just very kind of winning in that way. And it does strike you a bit like Theatre Kid, but like at the same time, he is charming. I can see it. But yeah, no, I mean, Tick, Tick, Boom is a film I really don't want to see. And it just struck me from the opening, just the first still of the film. I was like, yeah, this is Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. And that clip did not convince me to dive in. So uh, let's move on, though, Great. to the I Hated, Hated, Hated This Movie Award. So yeah, curiously, and I don't even know why, I think this is an oversight that I 
haven't picked Don't Look Up somehow because I gave that film half a star on Letterboxd. I despised it. The discourse that followed was disgusting and continues to be to a degree. Um, we can talk about it, maybe be on someone's list, but um, I will say that the Garfield thing is interesting because in my like my, my bronze medal for this award is a film called Mainstream, uh, which came out, like, didn't get much of a release last year. Um, it's him and it's uh, uh, Maya Hawke. And it's about, like, social media and how bad social media is. And Andrew Garfield plays this kind of, like, uh, completely free of his inhibitions kind of character who, you know, eventually becomes, like, quite quite devilish. And it's one of the most over-the-top annoying performances you'll ever see. Uh, The Suicide Squad gets my silver medal, a film I just fucking hated from start to finish. But... Um, don't look up. Don't don't look up. Probably should be the winner here. But I've gone with something else. I've gone with an indie uh, that just baffled me completely, and that's going to be my number one. Here's a little snippet of uh, of this terrible, terrible film. They say the summer when you finish school is the best time of your life. Your final summer of freedom when you become a man. It's important. didn't realize how important it would be. Boys, we're free. I love you, <laughs> I think you'd look great pregnant. Has anyone ever told you you have an extremely punchable face? I saw a girl get knocked over today. She died, but you're fine. Anyone want to hazard a guess as to what that is? Is it the young men? It's here are the young here men. Here are the young men. Yeah, yeah. the Owen Mac and, and Anya Taylor Joy. Yes, Owen Mac yeah. directed this film. Um, it's based on a book by Rob Doyle, which I haven't read. I remember when I was out in Hot Press, it was like the hot young book of the summer. And I haven't read it. Um, I have to imagine it's very much aping Brad Easton Ellis because the film certainly is. Um, this film was quietly dropped uh, onto like straight to streaming around, I think, like early 2021 i think um and it's just yeah it's 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 bizarre in that it has like a lot of english actors doing irish accents to varying degrees of success um anya taylor joy does a fairly okay irish accent i would say all things considered she's clearly only in the film because she was dating ellen Mackin at the time um there's no other way she'd do this uh, <laughs> dean charles chapman is the lead who you'll know from game of thrones as tom and baratheon and 1917 as a very stupid soldier um and I don't know about this guy. His Irish accent in this is fucking preposterous. It's absolutely outrageous. You got Finn Cole from Peaky Blinders, who's also English, also doing a very kind of weird practiced Irish accent, but his is a little bit more convincing. Ferdia Walsh Pilo, our, our boy from Sing Street, is in this as a character who gets forgotten halfway through. And he's good. Finn Cole is actually pretty good as well. But it's such a fucking mess. This is the ultimate in like edgy, you know, teenage day probably would have loved this. Um, young lads doing drugs, uh, they go through a traumatic experience, one of them becomes crazy. Uh, there's a weird kind of framing device with Travis Fimmel of, like, Vikings and Warcraft fame. Again, presumably a mate of Owen Mackins, popping up as some kind of weird American, almost f- like, fascist kind of TV show host, and it's all, like, 
caffeinated visuals and just like bad people, young people, like, you know, sex and drugs, yada, yada. It's so empty. It's in search of nothing. And I just found it to be, with each passing second, more and more obnoxious. Don't Look Up is probably worse in terms of a long-term problem that it's going to cause everyone in the world and in terms of nourishment value and the whole bullshit argument of if you hate this film, you hate saving the planet. It's like, no, no, critics can be allowed trash a fucking obnoxious, arrogant piece of shit when they want to. But here are the young men left a real sour taste in my mouth, so it's getting the nod. I (laughs) have not seen. I will not be checking it out on that uh, recommendation. I'm just seeing from the cast list that Numi Rapaz is also in it. Oh, she's in it for like two seconds. Yeah, she plays like a... Is she like a dancer in a nightclub or something? She's in there for like three seconds. It's weird. I, I do think he made it on like an exceedingly low budget. I think he could have even uh, financed it all himself, like on Mackin, as like a, he just really wanted to direct a film. Sure. I think he probably thought, I'll pull in all the mates I'll j- and let's just fucking make a film. Which is fine. So on one hand, I have to be like, fair play. I mean, yeah. like you gave something a go. I'll it give didn't him this. Work. <laughs> I'll give him this. It, it, I'll give him this. It looks good. It does look good. Like I mean, it, it looks competently made and well shot. It's just the. It's just the the text. It's just and everyone's trying, but it's worth checking out just to see how bad Dean Charles Chapman uh, his Irish acting is because it is stunning. Like it should be in the pantheon, but th- no one saw the film, so no one's talking about it. <laughs> so that's my pick, uh, Norma. What you got? So I talked about this film, my gold medal. Um, actually, sorry, I'll do a silver medal. Silver medal goes to The Woman in the Window. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I actually only recently, Netflix dropped um, The Woman Across the Road from the window of the house across the road or something. And it's like a piss take with Kristen Bell. And it's um, it has its funny moments. And it's quite clearly just taking the absolute piss out of The Woman in the Window. And I was like, fair play to someone for making this in light of how utterly bad the woman in the window was um it just dropped on netflix it didn't it was just a netflix film there's no reason why it would be in the cinema because it was so shockingly bad the woman in the window um, it was supposed to be it, it got like a, yeah i remember because i remember working in joe when i was there in my first year run and like i wrote a, a quick trailer story on it because it was meant to get a theatrical release and something happened along the way and it's got Netflix just hoovered it up, yeah. It was, sorry, I am just trying to remember because I did look this up. There was something about, so it was directed by Joe Wright, which is unfathomable. Yeah, red flag immediately, get away. <laughs> um, but, and the screenplay is by Tracy Letts. I think there was something about like, he wanted to do something with it and then the studio were like, no. And I think there was a bit of like, back and forth between visually and sort of conceptually what they wanted to achieve. So I don't know, maybe that is what pulled it to just being a Netflix film. Um, I don't I don't even know. What the cast. To say about I mean, it. what a cast. Incredible cast. Stupid storyline, stupid idea that don't make didn't make sense. Numerous plot holes. Just utterly silly bad performances. I couldn't believe I watched to the end. The ending is uh, when the big reveal happens. I I laughed so hard. There's a couple of moments in particular, like where I was howling with laughter on my own in the house. You know, not trying to like be over the top for the sake of it. I was like, this is just so stupid. Also, Jennifer Jennifer Jason Lee pops up in this movie for approximately like eleven seconds, no dialogue. What the hell? Why? (laughs) I was just looking again at the cast list, being like, what? Like what? Did everyone read that script? I, I have to assume the script changed 
and took twists and turns and people were caught in contracts and it was just a case of like fine all right so let's if just i recall correctly it's based you, on the massive airport novel by <laughs> aj finn who is dan mallory who there's like this incredible new yorker piece about which probably is a more interesting movie than what's here so like it was on the gone girl level of everybody has read this book um so it kind of it makes sense why it, it exists um and I think it was one of the first uh, victims of the Disney takeover of Fox that they kind of came in and they were just like, they tried to, they tested it and they were just like, no, we need to redo this. And then eventually they were just like, nope. Wasn't it a thing uh, that, didn't he work for a publishing house and he wrote this to be like, I bet this will work, uh, like a cynical, like total. Like, Essentially, you know, yeah. And it <laughs> took off massively. And yeah, he put a pseudonym on it. Um, if I recall correctly, the cast is like Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee, Brian Tyree Henry, Wyatt Russell, uh, I'm probably forgetting someone. Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie's in this as well. Is in it's, there? it's mental, like, and it's so bad. Um, <laughs> on that Gone Girl note, my number one, uh, I hated, hated, hated this film goes to I Care a Lot, starring Rosamund Pike. It again dropped on Netflix. Was it Netflix? Kind of midway through the year. So bad. Oh, I think like I spoke about it on the podcast at the time, so I'm not even going to do a deep dive in it. Um, it just a really kind of actually disgusting premise for a film. It's like this con woman who's cheating elderly people out of their money and getting them put into homes. And it's sort of touching on elderly abuse, but also kind of making it look a bit cool because this woman is making lots of money out of it and has a hot girlfriend and the entire thing was just so gross um terrible performance by Rosamund Pike I don't know why she did it I don't know why she felt like she would need to do I think because it is trying to do this kind of like cool girl thriller type thing and it just doesn't achieve any of that it looks disgusting like it's not actually shot well or nicely um i'm trying to remember if i got to the end of the film i don't think i did well there can be no greater condemnation than that norma Uh, (laughs) so i hated 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 that movie hang on higgs did you pick free guy was that your i picked free guy yeah i'm I'm way ahead of you guys i'm just like sitting out all these categories because i got them basically with my first choice (laughs) okay in that case let's move on uh to the didn't bother i just couldn't be bothered seeing this award so uh norma i think you've given us yours already house of gucci I, house of gucci and again i have nothing to say because That's i didn't watch it <laughs> okay <laughs> and well, i maybe won't uh, i'll give us another fucking cortisone injection of audio uh, as with the last one with my choice there could only be one choice for me and they didn't bother seeing an award and it's this now that you've been tagged with red notices you've become the world's most wanted criminals I'm the only one who can bring you in. Where'd you get that jacket? It's a statement piece. Somewhere there's a very nude cow whispering. Worth it. Looking for something specific or just browsing? You're under arrest. Oh my god. Read the room. You want to arrest me? Yeah, baby. It's Red Notice, Netflix's capitalist bullshit content venture, which is getting two sequels, by the way. Um, 
This is the film that led, was it David Sims? Some critics said correctly, we are, we are living in a movie star crisis. Uh, it's The Rock, Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. I mean, could you pick three of the more anemic, overstuffed, ubiquitous nightmares that are running around, ruining films at the moment? Ryan Reynolds in particular, take a fucking day off, would you please? The Rock has become this horrible capitalist avatar and probably the less said, less said about Gal Gadot, the better. Um, this was just, I, I, this was the first, even like watching this trailer was the first time I watched the trailer because the imagery that came out of this movie, the fact that Netflix were just screaming from the rooftops about how much money it cost. And then of course, when it comes out about four or five days later, they have a graphic that was presumably created months prior that was like, it is officially the most watched Netflix original of all time. It was just like, the entire campaign for this was just like, look how much money we have. This is opulence, a top opulence. There's a fucking Ed Sheeran cameo. You couldn't pay me to watch this thing. I just, I wish, like, like it, it, to me, this is a real death knell situation where, like, everything is content, fair enough. But this is not a movie, right? This is content. This is just crap. And it's awful. And we're getting two more of them. That's, yeah, Higgs, did you bother? Can't imagine that you did. Uh, we got ourselves our first snap. Yeah, this is <laughs> this this along with basically anything uh, Dwayne Johnson adjacent. I also have Jungle Cruise here. Um, could not be bothered. Um, yeah, everything you said about this movie is just disgusting. Um, I loved The Rock when he kind of first entered the the Fast franchise, and like even some of his his early action movies, like uh, The Rundown, is a lot of fun and. I think I've I've seen Snitch, I've seen Faster, all these ones, and you know varying levels of quality, but yeah, since then it's just as you're saying, it's like the unique selling point of this movie is that it costs a lot. Um, from what I've seen in the trailer, it looks like dog shit. From the director <laughs> of the, the director of Dodgeball. Yeah, Ross and Marshall Thurber, who also did Skyscraper, which was really bad. Um, I can't even recall what else he did. Not a great director. Um, similarly, was not bothered with Jungle Cruise and another one to throw in the pile. Ghostbusters Afterlife. We'll never oh, yeah. watch that movie. A movie <laughs> that like tries to be incredibly sentimental about two fairly averagely quite funny movies. Um, no thank you. Um, don't understand it. Some of the worst fan base out there. Um, yeah. They're, they're my three. The Ghostbusters thing is wild. The original Ghostbusters has a scene in which Dan Aykroyd gets a blowjob from a ghost. How has this turned into the most sentimental, like, oh, you know, isn't it lovely? Harold Ramis? Like, what what, what, what are we doing? Um, yeah, that's pretty much, I think, all we need to say about those. Red Notice, oof. I mean, maybe a moment of weakness will strike me on a hangover day or something, and I'll throw on all two and a half hours of it, but I just, I just can't quite see it. Um, and speaking of a similar nature, it is a different award, though. It's time for the Nobody Actually Needed This Film Award. Norma, what do you have? Um, I... W- I will just prefix this by saying that I do kind of struggle with this category sometimes because does anybody need anything any of the, any or all oh of the time? You're getting, getting existential now. <laughs> like. So like what qualifies as like does someone need this film? Do we need anything? However, the film I've picked is kind of also just a general kind of commentary on how I feel about certain films of this ilk. I did pick Cruella de Vil, the Disney Disney-backed film with Emma Stone, I think. Actually, is the Emma Thompson's in it? I think she, she helped write some of it. 
maybe not. I could be very wrong on that. Um, I just find the idea of these like villain origin stories that like people are getting into and also just like the remaking and recreation of the same set of like Disney classic films over and over and over again. I'm just done. I am so done. I didn't even see Cruella. <clears throat> didn't even see it. And I'm picking it for this award. I remember. Because um, we didn't need it so much, I didn't watch it. <laughs> I remember like a, a trailer for Hannibal Rising back in the day. And it was like, you know his name. You know his methods. And I'm like, yeah, why, why the fuck? Like, I, like, I don't need to see it the first time he did it. Like, I'm just yeah, like, I don't need, I don't need like them as a kid discovering why they're now a psychopath I just like I just I find the idea of it so boring and I actually I quite like Emma Stone she hasn't made a lot of stuff in recent times due to getting married and having a baby and living her life which is fair go off and do those bits um, so I think this is probably her big fi- her last big film that came out um, I don't think it was very good which is why I didn't didn't see it I think Dave you saw it and gave it a fairly review me right? i did not did you hear <laughs> cruella i thought someone had seen it didn't go. disgusted at that allegation <laughs> i didn't go maybe actually it. sorry maybe we were having a chat and you were like i saw the trailer and it looks terrible this is um, I, I saw like a scene from it in which like three dalmatians like knock her mother off a cliff and it's fucking hilarious uh, that, maybe that was it but and we were I just like how bad is this yeah no I'll, I'll yeah because i was this. just like an origin story for a villain who has a thing against these dogs so it's like yeah what could the origin story be my mother was but now they're like but now they're like they're like oh it's getting a sequel i'm like what 101 dalmatians like like, what hello i just it's like it's this machine that i just have no fucking time for whatsoever um and they're going to keep doing it they're just going to keep doing it even like the new cinderella that came out with camilla cabello like like I thought we did that not like three years ago and I know it's like they're trying to do like remakes of these to make them more diverse and inclusive and stuff like that and that is a fantastic thing but if that is the case that that's what you want to achieve make a new film yeah. <laughs> just, just make a, a new film it's, it's just a conveyor um, belt like, yeah it it's just like come up with a new idea and cast it diversely and with regard to inclusivity like it just I just don't get this like let's just keep churning out the same stuff or making these origin stories or like the prequel to the thing and then having several sequels it just wears me so thin somebody someone on Twitter a few years ago literally made a joke and they were like watch Disney do something like and a block happens they were like Wonka and now Wonka is happening with (laughs) Timothy Chalamet Uh, Higgs what's your choice here Um, just on Cruella much like No Time to Die until last night when it, I think it won a BAFTA for like best costumes, I in, completely forgot that it was a thing that existed. Just no cultural footprint at all. Don't understand it. Um, I did have the guilty here. We kind of mentioned there was no need to remake a movie as good as that so soon after it was made. Um, but my choice will be uh, The Many Saints of Newark, oh. which um, <laughs> kind of long anticipated uh, prequel to uh, Dave's favorite TV show. Um, you can say incredibly it. like incredibly well cast for the most part. Um, there's some great performances in it. I didn't hate it. I think it's actually like decent. It's just it's a mess and it's trying to please too many masters and like yeah, surprise, surprise, the prequel to a TV show should have been like a mini series. Yes, because 100%. there's a lot going on in here. Um, and there's a lot that you kind of want to be 
stretched out but it just feels like it, it again like it's you know you have um a really strong lead performance by i think one of dave's number ones alessandro nivola i'm a as, huge uh, fan huge fan he's a great he, actor he is a great actor and he's great in this and um you have one bad Ray Liotta performance and one great Ray Liotta performance where, you know, he, he plays this very over-the-top um, brother at the start and I was just like, oh, God, this is this is too much. And then, you know, plays the other brother, the identical twin, and he's, like, far more reserved and it's just, like, it's a fantastic performance. Um, there's, like, a, a side storyline with Leslie Odom Jr. that, like, doesn't really go very much of anywhere even though it has like a weird post credit sting and it's like i feel like this should have been like a couple of episodes um and then just you know vera farmiga as livia soprano is like it's great casting cory Stahl's good as junior but then there's just this kind of thing where it's like well we have to get everyone in and by the time uh young tony shows up it's just like i don't really care about this like this is this is too much this movie already has enough on the go for it already i thought he was good though michael Gambit he was me. good but he was unnecessary much yeah. like pr- pretty much like this movie and then yeah there's just a little bit of like john mcgarrow as like silvio and just... john mcgarrow was great in first cow and he's just like this actor who's been kind of knocking around and i was like oh he's gonna be in it and it's like it's the most pantomime performance <laughs> i think i've seen it actually probably should have got in in some of the categories uh near the top yeah um it's super flat looking no un- understandably is it's made uh, by you, alan taylor you hire alan director. taylor yeah fucking me like um, the, the, the helmer of terminator genesis and what else has he done like he made a thor movie didn't yes, he yes he made the dark, the dark world. world yeah the famously visual um, smorgasbord that is Thor the Dark World and some Game of Thrones yeah so which episodes, is you know. again just a shame that like there's um, that it looks so flat even though that there's there is care and consideration put into kind of recreating that world just a disappointment would have loved a show and loved to have this movie be able to breathe a little bit more Yep, if it was a if it was a ten episode of HBO Max show, it would have been a lot better, I think, ultimately. And I felt bad for the cast. Don't love the Sopranos, think it's a good show, etc. But I was weirdly excited for this in the end, probably because my boy Alessandro was leading the line, and he was great in it. But yeah, it just it's just it crammed everything in. I was like, it's two hours, and it, like it, it, there's so much more to do here. But I don't even think it did too well, so we'll probably never see any of these people doing that again. But what are you gonna do? Um, so my one for the nobody needed this award, and I completely understand Norma's kind of you know how do you define what nobody needs? Um, I think something has to stand out as a real like, well, this is just for you, isn't it? So this is my thing here. Um, I could have picked this uh, one of the. Two people you're going to hear in this unbearable scene that I'm about to play. I do apologize. Could very well have made the Curious Failure Performance Award or the Give Me the Oscar Award. Um, this is just dreadful, and I'm going to play it now in full. That's why you didn't thank me tonight, Malcolm. That's also why you didn't cast me. Authenticity. Yeah. Isn't that the word of the mm-hmm. fucking game? Well, it's all I fucking heard tonight. Oh, he's such an authentic filmmaker. The movie is so authentic. He was able to channel his voice so authentically. You know why people love that word? It's why? Because they don't know what makes something good. Yeah, well, I think authenticity is key. Of course you do, because that's all you have to offer. Oh, that's anyone wow. all they have it's to say. Have it's the only awesome. word okay. that people Thank that you, don't know Malcolm. shit about film feels like they got something to offer. But nobody knows no, or cares about film anymore they can't say anything about film but they love to talk about authenticity you know they don't know dick about film about fucking citizen kane or or best years of our no lives no one fucking but cares about that shit but authenticity oh shit 
They know that shit through and through, don't they? Authenticity does not fucking matter. Your perspective doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Your experience doesn't matter. Recreating reality doesn't make something interesting. It's about your interpretation about Big reality, ass. what you feel about reality, how you convey You're reality, what you reveal about reality. Perspective, your perspective. You know, transcribing a conversation, or holding a camera up and pressing record, that's a fucking YouTube video. Oof, edgy stuff. Uh, the terrible, dreadful, awful Malcolm and Marie. Uh, by Sam Levinson, creator of Euphoria, which I still haven't seen. And you heard there Zendaya and John David Washington, who I feel like we never give a break to on this show because he's just making all the wrong choices, isn't he? Uh, this is an hour and a half film. It's so pandemic shot, it hurts. It's just the two of them in a very nice house coming after an award show. He's a filmmaker. He didn't thank her in his speech. They have a row about it for approximately 90 minutes. Um... Zendaya is a star, there's no question of this, and I think that she does the best she can do with the material she was given in this thing. John David Washington, it's just that, it's just him screaming to the back row constantly in this film. Two very unlikable characters, uh, shot in moody black and white, Um, clearly, you know, just like three mates working together and just doing this kind of thing over the course of a weekend, presumably in like one of their houses. Uh, Netflix bought it and I don't know why it would work maybe as like an acting reel for someone to be like here's my range here's what I can do but it just felt so self-indulgent and again like it's it's Sam Levinson and like it's because like I'm wary of wading into territory here that I have no right to speak about but like Sam Levinson's a white guy right and he's writing about these black characters in such a way and about the black struggle the black oppression especially in Hollywood and entertainment and while I'm sure he has inroads into understanding that and while I'm sure he worked with his cast up front and got all their perspective involved it just felt weird coming from Sam Levinson like you know um, the son of a prominent filmmaker who's probably had a career handed to him himself and he's whining about award shows and the respect the filmmakers do and don't get and it's like you have a really well going career. I don't see the point of this really. And yeah, it just felt indulgent in the extreme. And I watched it more of a curiosity more than anything else. Cause I was like, I'd be very surprised if I like this, but Jesus Christ, 90 minutes has rarely felt so long. I can't imagine either of you have dipped into this. Have you? I needed to lie down after that clip. It's bad. Yeah, I know. Mm. Yeah. So no, <laughs> no, I didn't. I think you gave it a fairly thorough thrashing when one, it did come out <laughs> one out of five it's so um, and I think I, that I just didn't watch it um, and I do I've watched all of Euphoria and I do like it it's very very addictive watching um, I think Zendaya is also an executive producer on Malcolm and Marie so I do think part of the project is kind of the genesis of it is from her and she's obviously you know has a close relationship with Sam Levinson so maybe they conceived that together um i think she's an executive producer and a lot of stuff she does which is interesting beside and makes her a more interesting artist in general but no i don't think i will ever watch it i got i gotta say just on sam levinson i'm a little worried he wrote the screenplay for much anticipated dropping in two days erotic thriller deep water starring ben affleck and gotta get that under wraps (laughs) but i mean you know he's working with the text from Patricia Highsmith. So come on, just, you know, just copy it and put it on the page and it should be okay. <laughs> okay, well, let's hope that Deep Water, which is a film that Higgs is dying to see, loves an erotic thriller, uh, isn't disappointing. But what was disappointing in 2021? The biggest disappointments, Norma Howard. 
My biggest disappointments were so silver medal um, went to One Night in Miami, which was Regina King's uh, directorial debut. Um, I based on a play which I should have known that Hollywood doesn't have a very good track record of um, the adaptation of theatre going well. Um, I think sometimes they. I think sometimes they think that the script and the text will do a lot of the work for them. But I think if you're going to adapt something from theatre to film, you really have to think about it structurally changing and how your mechanism for telling the story changes. And it didn't change at all in this. Um, and I just, I was really excited about it. It has a really interesting cast. I do think uh, Leslie Odom Jr. gave an incredible performance as Sam Cooke. Generally, the performances are quite good. It's just so stagnant. Like it's four lads sitting in a room having the chats because that's what the play is. And I was just surprised that there was no greater vision there, that they didn't like foresee how that would become stagnant and stale really quickly. And then they move from one room, all four of them to another place and continue to have the same conversation. And I just thought there was a much more interesting film that could have been there and yeah, I was just I was just in general a little disappointed by it because we've seen like adaptations of theater pieces like Fences was a number of, was a couple of years ago, and similarly again just felt very felt very theatrical, felt really staged. It's like two people talking in one set place, and it just more needs to be invested. Um, but my gold medal biggest disappointment went to Annette um, because as we reviewed on the podcast, I won't get into it into too much because there's an entire episode on it. I was, just, I was really excited for it and it genuinely just kind of disappointed me. I thought it had so many cool aspects, um, an interesting cast, director, Sparks being involved, like a new musical like I am really excited by the idea of like new musicals because like there's been a lot of like remakes of old musicals um West Side Story being up for so many Oscars and stuff like that so I was like oh something new and fresh and like modern and like let's see what happens and it did just uh yeah it just disappointed me my disappointments are often like sad ones in that there's stuff that I was very excited about that disappointed me as opposed to like this was going to be a big hit and it was a bad film. I don't think either of them are necessarily like bad films. I was just personally let down. Oh, that's completely fair. Dave Higgins. <laughs> sounds so sad. <laughs> Disappointments for you, Higgs. Um, I also have Annette down here. Again, won't get into it too much. But yeah, just having had like a transcendent experience watching Holly Motors in this uh, cinema and Annette being kind of like one of the... F- few movies I think I saw early like last year when there were still kind of restrictions um I put a lot on it and it didn't uh really deliver back to me um two other ones just to mention uh the card counter you and I Dave went to see this um Paul Schrader's follow-up to First Reformed which was kind of like a late period like masterpiece from one of the kind of very interesting filmmakers who's been knocking around for over 50 years um stars oscar isaac who's an actor i love and have wanted to kind of get kind of back on the road uh in terms of like making good projects and getting away from kind of getting bogged down in all the ip and this like looked like the ideal project uh for him to do um yeah it was just like a really really kind of 
flat film. It, it didn't have any kind of like the stark imagery of First Reformed. Um, really kind of slow and languid. And normally I like that in a movie, but in this it just kind of like, I felt very, very bogged down. Um, it kind of was very obvious where it was going in terms of like its central relationship between Isaac and uh, Ty Sheridan, who plays like a younger guy who he kind of takes in under his wing. Um, I wasn't heavily invested in them. Tiffany Haddish, who uh, is in this and was like a very interesting bit of casting for a movie like this just didn't pop the way I'm kind of used to her popping in movies. Uh, yeah, so a very big disappointment. Um, not that I hated it, just again, like it's like kind of like what Norma was saying. It's like I was expecting a lot from it. Um, I was also expecting a lot from the tragedy of Macbeth. And while I liked it, again, it was just kind of like, you know, shrug after I saw it. Um, undoubtedly a great performance from Denzel. It looks absolutely exquisite. Um a kind of a not great Francis McDormand performance, which is almost sacrilege, I suppose to say. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm aware that, you know, IP is going to just kind of continuously be made and remade. Uh, but I was like, I, I don't know if I needed another Macbeth. The one that, you know, was just like sticking exactly to the text like this. Um, yeah, so that's 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 my that's my three. How about you, Dave? Um, I have loads, but I'm only going to pick one here because uh, I, I want us to kind of be breezy in our presumably two and a half hour long episode. Um, so yeah, top of the mountain for me is is this. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Something else makes the same kind of noise. War. most important choice in Neo's life. It's not his to make. She believed in me. It's my turn to believe in her. Man, that sounds fucking epic, doesn't it? That's the Matrix Resurrections, uh, which I didn't think was very epic. Um, I also desperately wanted to have a clip there of Jonathan Groff screaming Mr. Anderson, because I found that very funny. Um, yeah, Matrix Resurrections, I just didn't dig it. I kind of liked the meta stuff to a degree in the first half of the film, but I just didn't, didn't think it really went anywhere satisfying. It's kind of shot like a TV movie. The action sequences as well just feel very flat, considering... That in 1999, this film changed the game in terms of choreography and stunt work and visuals and the overall aesthetic. Um, yeah, it's it just kind of proved what we, what we all kind of feared, I think, in that like there just wasn't as much to this world as we thought there was. Um, I rewatched all the films in advance and Reloaded actually works on me a bit more every time I see it, despite the fact that I fucking despised it when I first saw it in 2003. Revolutions is an absolute mess. Um... And yeah, I just, the original's obviously incredible. It's fine. I mean, like, I think it's a nice victory lap for Lana Wachowski, for Keanu Reeves, and particularly for Carrie Ann Moss, who it's a pleasure to see again in a big screen movie. Um, much like Keanu Reeves, a woman who just refuses to age. Um, great actor, underrated, I would say, should get more roles. 
and she's fantastic in this. Keanu's good, I suppose, but he, he's kind of a bit too passive, even though that's kind of the point of the character. It just didn't really go anywhere narratively that interesting for me. And I thought that the new additions to the cast weren't great. I find myself feeling strangely bad for uh, the amazing Yahya Abdul-Mateen II between this and Candyman. He gets to play two iconic characters and in two films that just didn't know what to do with them, I think, ultimately. Um, or I guess he's playing around with the Candyman thing in Candyman, but like... Uh, Jessica Henwick's good. She's clearly got superstar potential. Um, nice to see her bounce back after being treated terribly in Game of Thrones uh, as one of the sand snakes. Um, it just didn't kick off for me. Like everyone's kind of fine and having fun with it. I think Jonathan Groff is really good in this, even though his character is ridiculous, but knowingly so. It just felt too indulgent, and that's fine. And in fairness, the backstory of this apparently, and it's written all over the film, is that like they were going to make it anyway. Uh, at least one of the Wachowskis wanted to kind of step back in, get the cast back in, and in that regard, in in the kind of in the kind of real life kind of element of the story, it's a nice thing that exists. But I just was let down. I think, yeah. So Higgs, I think you liked it more than me. Yeah, I did. Um, you, yeah, you kind of touched on the action, and uh, much like the Batman, the action is quite bad in it. I I'm curious is some of that somewhat deliberate um i think it actually might be um there's some like there's some very stark changes from like the originals where like you know neo and trinity i don't think use a gun in this or certainly neo doesn't it's more like about pushing people away and the kind of uh wearing the heart on the sleeve filmmaking of the witch houses is very much there where it's just like true love will conquer all which has kind of been a through line in all of their movies and is really brought to the fore here um, the meta stuff works really, really well. I think it's really funny. Um, and I enjoyed the new additions as well. Like I thought Groff was a good Smith. He's having a lot of fun. Neil Patrick Harris was also good. Is essentially explaining everything that's happening in the film. Uh, you, mess- you mentioned uh, Jessica Henwick. She's great as Bugs. Um, yeah, I've, I've thought about it a lot since I've seen it. And I feel like it's a movie that's going to age better the more we kind of go down it might, the rabbit yeah, hole it might. quite literal of uh you know blockbuster ip and just like facsimiles of facsimiles like something like this that is very much a singular vision and is a retort to that and then also kind of a retort to the interpretations of the matrix that have kind of existed in the 20 odd years since it was made um and then even uh, while I would say like the, the action isn't as clean or as crisp, but we're still some stark imagery in it. I thought particularly towards the end where the, I I don't know the matrix terminology well enough to be when, when like people are like being hardwired into and they're using themselves as bombs is like a really pretty horrific looking scene, but like very, very visually stunning and um, something that stuck with me quite a bit. Um, yeah. Did it need to exist? No, but as as is very well signposted in the movie, it was going to exist. So I'm glad that this is what existed rather than whatever, you know, what, who, who am I thinking of? Colin Trevorrow's The Matrix, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Give me Lana Wachowski any day of the week. Yeah, fair enough. Although justice for Lawrence Fishburne, I say. Norman, did you get around to it? I didn't because I watched all three of the other Matrix films. Spoiler alert. I had not seen any of them. Shocking. And then I was given out to and then I watched all three in two days. <laughs> and then didn't watch this. And then didn't watch it because actually my, my sister and my brother uh, went to see it at Christmas time, I think, as a St. Stephen's Day treat, kind of get out of the house thing. 
um, and they really didn't like it. And like my brother would be very much up for like good like action, just a bit of crack at the cinema type thing. And he didn't really like it at all. And I think then a couple of other people um, in particular, uh, I was going to be like friend of the podcast, Elaine May. She friend, she's a friend of the podcast. She's a friend of the right? podcast. Yeah, of course. Um, she loves the Matrix. Big, big Matrix fan. And she went to see it and didn't like it. And um, I'm pretty sure it was her who said it. Otherwise, I'm throwing Elaine under the bus there. Um, and I think it was just, there was just enough people saying, don't watch it, that I didn't. I wouldn't say don't watch it, despite the fact that I picked I, this. Maybe I'll get around to I it. I would say I'm watch still it. trying to. I'm still trying to, like, go through the back catalogue of Oscar films that I haven't watched. Um, so I do have a lot of catching up to do. And I think I probably will watch it at some point. It's not something I've written off forever. Yeah, I think Higgs is actually right. I think it will actually age well. But Higgs, we'll, uh, we'll stick with you for most pleasant surprise. Um, I've got three. I'll, I'll, I'll fly through them very quickly. Um, first one... I think anyone who listens to the pod and anyway, Samory regularly knows that I love a, I love a dad movie. I love a Tom Hanks movie. And Tom Hanks had a movie this year called Finch um, that dropped on uh, Apple TV. And it's like, a, it's pretty much just like a two-hander between uh, Tom Hanks, who plays Finch, who's a a scientist of some, of some sort in a post-apocalyptic world. There's been solar flares. The ozone layer has been annihilated and the earth is completely inhabitable so like you know 2030 i would guess um thanks and (laughs) he it's just him and his dog he's got this uh he's got this great dog called goodyear and they're just like hanging out and i'm like this is kind of perfect um but basically it's revealed that uh finch has some sort of poisoning he has some sort of uh, terminal illness so he wants to create a humanoid robot to be able to hang out with the dog after he dies and so he creates this uh, robot called Jeff who's played by Caleb Landry Jones um, who's phenomenal like one of the best supporting performances of the year and also I would extend that to the uh, both the design and the rendering it like it this looks amazing it's directed by um, Miguel Sub- Pochnik, who is kind of was the go-to guy for like the big Game of Thrones episodes towards the end of the show. Um, just a really pleasant surprise. It got me teary-eyed, even though it it hit the uh, American Pie needle drop way too many times, but um, <laughs> I'll forgive that. Um, another one I think that's probably going to be uh, a little further up your list or maybe at your, 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 in your top 10. Um, I really loved Pig, uh, Michael Sarnowski's movie about a a chef who's kind of like living a bucolic existence in the uh, Pacific Northwest forests and he has a, a beloved truffle pig who gets kidnapped and then goes on this quest uh, to try and get his pig back. You look at the poster, you look at the trailer, you think you're getting John Wick with Nicolas Cage and a pig. It turns out to be something completely different. Again, I'm not going to go into what it is um a really really touching film beautiful um and remarkable performance from cage and then the last one is one of these um just saw it on netflix threw it on I'm not going to say in any way that this is a great film but i probably didn't laugh more in the entirety of 2021 than when i watched um bad trip which is the eric andre lil ray howery movie that also stars Tiffany Haddish. It's basically like a, a hidden camera show 
but done as a film where like they did all these pranks with people um and then kind of like structured a very 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 loose plot about um Eric Andre's character like going to try and find like his high school crush um it's incredibly in poor taste most of the time um there's like a scene where um Eric Andre is like <laughs> Uh, ravaged by a gorilla in a zoo <laughs> that involves all sorts of positions. <laughs> uh, it's really, really stupid. Uh, Tiffany Haddish is phenomenal. She plays like someone who's like chasing after them because they took her car. Um, just really, really funny. Really, really, really stupid. Um, I laughed a lot. I actually like ended up watching it again with Jen um, or most of it. So yeah, a pleasant surprise. I had no, I was like, I'm just going to try this on for like 15 minutes. And then I was like, no, I, I'm in this. I can't. I can't turn this off. It's too good. Uh, right, so that's um, me. <clears throat> yeah, I must check it out. Norma, we go. Um, so, yeah, my most pleasant surprises, films that did just kind of like catch me off guard a little bit with how good they were. Um, I think I've I've spoken to Dave about this. The Green Knight, directed by David Lowry. I went into it knowing that a couple of people had given it like a good review. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I thought it was fantastic i would easily watch that film again it's um an adaptation of sir gowan i think i'm saying that right um and the green knight like canterbury tale type thing um dev patel is excellent in it it looks gorgeous it's just a really cool interesting medieval story like i just i was really taken aback by how just interesting they made it and it doesn't feel it doesn't necessarily feel like a medieval style film or the way that like people certainly choose to make them the cinematography is incredible it sounds gorgeous Alicia Vikander plays a really interesting role in it um I don't know I think maybe you guys have seen it yeah yeah I loved it you've seen it yeah um to anyone who hasn't seen it I would highly recommend I think it's on Amazon it is. It yes. is on Amazon, yeah. Um, I don't want to, like, give too much away about it, but there's some amazing performances in there. There's, like, there's a particular moment with a kind of a, a special effects thing that happens that's really cool. Um, Dave is nodding. I don't, <laughs> that's I as just, vague as you could possibly be. I know. I just don't <laughs> want to give it away because it's actually a really interesting bit. Um, and just a really cool retelling of that poem. And the kind of the epic story that um, that night goes on. And again, I was just I was really surprised by how much I loved it. Amazing, like, um, amazing casting on the titular Green Knight as well, I think. Yeah, just just so interestingly done. And like I saw David Larry's other kind of like last big, big film, I guess, was the A Ghost Story. Um, which I really liked as well. Casey Affleck and... Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara. Um, Eating a pie. Eating a pie. Really slow, like kind of difficult film, but I thought it was actually done really beautifully. I enjoyed it more than I think a lot of other people did. And I think the main takeaway I have from The Green Knight as well is it's actually kind of made me quite excited for David Lowry in general. So I am going to go back and watch In Them Body Saints, I think is his other kind of big film. I'm like, I just, it was really nice to be like, oh, I really enjoyed that. And now I'm actually interested and invested in a director's work and that's not something I necessarily feel all the time when I go to see a film that I get 
that excited about going into the back catalogue. So that is my gold medal, most pleasant surprise. Um, number two goes to Summer of Soul, which is um, a documentary directed by Questlove. Again, I didn't I didn't know that much about it. Um, Dahi Odroni had seen it already. He loves watching films with Emily. <laughs> <laughs> And then he was like, I really love this film. I think you should give it a watch. It just is like really beautiful and heartwarming. Um, so I put it on and I just really enjoyed myself. It was really, really beautiful. It's a documentary um, set in 1969 um, where the Harlem Cultural Festival took place in New York um, to celebrate black history, cultural music and fashion. And over a number of weeks, different people performed. There's incredible footage there. So basically it was all filmed and recorded, documented and then just left for a number of years and nothing was done with that footage. It was a huge thing. Um, some like amazing performances out of the artists there and uh, Questlove came along and somehow got hold of the footage and built this film around it. There's interviews. It's just really, really beautiful, really powerful documentary. And again, I was just like really surprised. It just kind of, he was like, I think you should just throw it on and just, you know, just give it a watch. Don't think about it too much. And it was really, really wonderful. And then a bronze medal goes to Swan Song, um, directed by Ben Cleary. He's an Irish director. It's his feature film debut. Um, I don't think it's it's not like one of the top, top films of the year, but I was pleasantly surprised again um, by just how much I liked it, like how endearing it was. Uh, Mahershala Ali plays the titular role, does an incredible job. I think he got nominated for a BAFTA for it last night and had previously been nominated for Golden Globe. I thought he might get an Oscar nomination, but not to be. It's just a really, really sweet film, very contained. I think at times you can kind of tell it was made during a COVID era because of the actual just how kind of how it's scaled in, but uh, it also stars Glenn Close and oh, I've forgotten the actress's name, but she's in No Time to Die. Lashana Lynch? No. Naomi Harris? Yes. And um, Aquafina is great in it. Also. She is actually, sorry, Aquafina as well. Yeah, I just kind of, I, I had seen some of Benjamin Cleary's um, short films and I think his feature film debut has been a while in the making um, and I went to a screening of it in the IFI and he actually spoke about it afterwards and it was just interesting hearing, hearing him speak about filmmaking and where the story came from and just dealing with grief and the loss of people in your life and friendships and being someone who's left behind and it was just a really really moving piece of work I don't think it made a, a big dent in the Hollywood sphere but um but i really enjoyed it um so my why. i'm gonna jump straight to my number one here on most on pleasant surprises because there will be room to talk about my my other two um you've spoken so eloquently and lovelily about these artful projects and now i'm just gonna hit you with complete schlock here's my number one what's your name honey flight officer garrett ain't no women in the air corps i'm a flight mechanic and a pilot you're not a pilot you're a delivery girl <laughs> Requesting permission to fire on an enemy attacker. You wouldn't even know how to fire a gun. I was being polite. Ah! She hit it! She was right! Who the hell are you, Miss Garrett? What is she here for? 
you hear that? What the hell is that racket? There's something on top of the plane. Something on the goddamn. So that's a shadow in the cloud. Uh, which appeared on Amazon Prime early in 2021, I believe. Chloe Grace Moretz there, giving her best English accent. Um, how do you even begin to describe this film? It is bonkers. Uh, I think Higgs has seen it. It is completely ridiculous. It's basically, she plays a... Uh, I guess she's a fighter pilot, but she's kind of, you know, mysterious to begin with, and she's trying to transport something during wartime. Uh, World War Two, I think, kind of era, if I recall correctly. And she ends up in like the hold of a ship or uh, an aircraft, rather. And because they're, you know, they're trying to ascertain who she is and what's going on. And you get this whole like the first half of the film is just her in this kind of, you know, enclosed space, this kind of like, you know, whatever the fuck they call those areas on the plane. Um, And then you have like the guys like talking it out about who she is. And so much of it is played out like a radio play. So much of it is like the camera just focuses on her. You occasionally see a close-up of like a of, a, of one of the guys up up the top, but it's mostly done through like the headphones that she's wearing. And like, I when I watch films, I tend to watch them with headphones. That kind of added to the atmosphere. And then about 30, 40 minutes into the film, it turns into an episode of the Twilight Zone. Um, there's like a monster involved, and there's a moment as well in the film where Chloe Grace Moretz gets like. Uh, she comes out of a plane and like a plane below her explodes and the force of the explosion lifts her back into the original plane. It's fucking insane. The film ends with uh, and one of the most insane needle drops you'll ever hear. Uh, it's it's crazy. Like like it, it's it's so strange and silly. But I was so invested in it. I was like, I actually think this is great. <laughs> I'm really really digging this. Um, a kind of a unfortunately depressing aspect about it though is that the film was written by uh, Max Landis whose career is pretty much over at this point uh, after lots of horrible allegations were made against him but the filmmaker um, I believe she said that they tried extremely hard to take his name off it but they couldn't because of like Writers Guild rules or something and they rewrote the script like a million times uh, even I think with Chloe Grace Moretz to try and just make it their own original thing but because the germ of the idea came from him they couldn't not credit him so that's been a like an ongoing thing with regards to the movie but like it's completely silly it's over the top it's i gave it a three out of five but i was entertained from start to finish uh and it kind of won me over on chloe grace moretz an actor who i don't really normally enjoy i quite liked her in this so shadow in the cloud check it out it's very stupid but i enjoyed it (laughs) higgs you did see it didn't you I did. Um, didn't work on me quite as well, but that needle drop is absolutely bonkers. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it, like. Yeah. <laughs> it's that good. Right, uh, but needle drops are coming up next, of course. It's time for best score. What music in a film moved you the most? Norma Howard, I think you have a clip. You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch here fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. So that there was the score for a film called Zola by Michael Levy. I've just realized that I think in the two years that I've been doing the Jamboree with you guys, Michael Levy has gotten both my best scores. Um, So well done to them. Um, 
I I actually th- I thought Zola was like generally an okay film. I was surprised by how much I liked it. It's based off a true story that was a series of tweets about um a girl called Zola who gets involved with another girl. They go on this mad wild trip to Florida and a series of crazy um events unfold. Um and one of the strongest points of the film is the score. I just thought it was absolutely um, like a masterclass and how to tell that type of story. Um, Michael Levy, they seem to have just an incredible ability to adapt to tone, vision. Um, even like the the score complements the, the more kind of needle drop stuff in the film. Like there's like Hannah Montana by Mygas. I think that's who does that song. There's a lot of like hip hop beats throughout it and the score just complements it really, really well. It has that weird kind of the clip you heard there. It's like this sort of fairy tale, uh, modern fairy tale, I don't know, kind of surreal, glittery, rainbowy kind of feel to it. So it starts off like that in the film. Like the film itself is kind of like that. It's told as if it's this weird, twisted fairy tale, two sides of a story that are being told. Um, between the lead character Zola and um, another character called Stefani, played by Riley Keough. Um, And it just, it feels like the score is like another character in the film, but at the same time just blends so well. It was so interesting, just fantastically done. And I don't think Michael Levy gets enough recognition or praise for the work they do in film. Dave Higgins, you're up next. That was my number two. Yeah, um, I thought it was a great score. And it kind of just, it also just like uses samples of what the internet sounds like. I mean, there's lots <laughs> of kind of like the the tweet sounds and um, yeah, it's really cool. And there's one obvious one. I think I raved about it before. Um, which which Johnny Greenwood score <laughs> do I pick? Which of his three scores? Uh, Jesus Christ, what a year. I'm going to um, guess gonna go with, that you're going to go with Spencer. I'm gonna go with Spencer. Yeah, um, not to not uh, the power of the dog. The power of the dog is great, but it, I feel like the power of the dog is something I've heard him kind of do a little bit before in There Will Be Blood. Um, it's still a remarkable score. Similarly, his score, which is kind of a bit more in the background in Licorice Pizza, because that movie is so uh, kind of heavily with needle drops at the front of it is also really good but um the Spencer score I think is amazing it's hearing him do something that both I haven't heard him do before and just wasn't expecting him to do I had a had an idea of what the Spencer score was and at times it was that it was grand and it was regal um but him kind of going into like a CD jazz club uh kind of sounds that just felt like they should have been in something from Le Carre was phenomenal um I got like a genuine thrill when he was behind like the organs for like a couple of uh, scenes um just an absolutely like box office incredible score um incredible work from him i hope he gets an oscar um even though it will be for the movie i think that you know is very very good but not his best work this year so uh my number one uh, this film could have appeared in most pleasant surprise it could appear in best <laughs> trash but I'm picking it for best score because the score was one of the big standout. Like, I can't believe that this is on this. What the hell? Um, so the composer, I believe, is someone called Chris Benstead, who I don't know and haven't quite heard before. 
Um, but yeah, this was like this was the one that just kind of blew me away. I'm I'm struggling to locate my clip here, but I have it now, so I'm gonna play it for you. Here we go. So that's the opening theme tune and the main motif in the film Wrath of Man, Guy Ritchie's <laughs> very trashy motion picture that dropped uh, unceremoniously on Amazon Prime towards the end of 2021, starring Jason Statham, uh, all about like heist cash trucks and stuff and, you know, nefarious people getting involved. I really, really, really enjoyed this film. I It was so much better than I thought it would be. I think it's Guy Ritchie's best film in about 20 years, which probably isn't saying all that much in the grand scheme of things. I just thought it was... It just crackled with energy that I did not expect. Um, I, it, it, it compelled me. It held my attention. I think Scott Eastwood is good in this, even though Higgs does not agree with me. Um, and I thought, like, for a Guy Ritchie crime movie, I was like, it has a lot more about it than his usual stuff. Don't get me wrong. It's a knockoff of a knockoff. I think my entire letterbox review was I said this is Guy Ritchie's Den of Thieves, and that is a compliment because I've inexplicably seen Den of Thieves four times. I will watch Wrath of Man again. Uh, great like kind of that guy cast Holt McElhaney is second build in this movie Josh Hartnett's in it um Neve Algar is in it that kind of rising Irish actor whole bunch of others who I'm probably forgetting right now I I thought it was great I thought it was a really solid thriller um and I love a really good a good really solid thriller Higgs I know you like it too yeah I mean I'll jump ahead a tiny bit it's it's it wins my best trash easily (laughs) um nothing was coming close to it um, I haven't kind of considered the score as much. I must kind of it's good revisit that a bit. Score. Um, I was enjoying it there and nodding along. Um, yeah, just a, a finally, I suppose, a, a return to form for Richie and Statham, who I haven't loved the Statham movie in a while, and I would have been very much a Statham completist. I've seen all sorts of draws that he's in. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyable. It's a, It takes itself a bit too bloody seriously. It does. But, I mean, at the same time, it's kind of to be expected. Um, And I'm even moderately looking forward to whatever that new Guy Ritchie film is. I keep seeing a poster for it. Hugh Grant's back with him, which is kind of interesting. Um, And Aubrey Plaza, who's like, not who I would consider the lead role for, uh, lead female role for a Guy Ritchie movie, but she's a very interesting actress. And I'm curious to what will will happen there yeah and Statham and Hartner are back it's, it's got some weird title it's something like you know Operazione Dynamite or something I don't know <laughs> but um you say it like you don't know it's not quite that uh, we'll stick with you Higgs for best needle drop I was just gonna say for best score I feel like n- none of us picked it but Dune is probably gonna win the Oscar do you think so I think so. He won the BAFTA last night. I feel like it was it like it probably would have been in my top three um, had I done one. I will um, say I it mean, is very like, good in that kind of weird 2021, 2022 quagmire. Like uh, I consider Drive My Car to be 2022. If I considered it to be 2021, it would probably take my score. But um, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's 2022. March. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just tough because it's like, I would love Johnny Greenwood to win an Oscar and get that recognition he deserves. He was very sweet accepting Paul Thomas Anderson's award last night with Alana Heim as he wasn't there at the BAFTAs. Uh, But I just think Hans Zimmer is going to come in and 
And Hans Zimmer's Again. way all over it. I know, Zimmer's way all over it. Um, all right, needle drop, in which case a track is played in a film and it stands out to you. Higgs, what do you got? Okay, we're, we're primarily music adjacent, so I'm just going to list off a lot that I really liked and then I'll kind of talk about one. Um, Sissy Strut in another round. I know it's kind of got the, the other big needle drop that someone else might mention. Um, Roadrunner, the Bourdain documentary that I both loved and hated, has an incredible uh, marquee moon by television needle drop that I was just like, this is just hitting me in all the sweet spots. Um, Staying Alive in uh, the Bee Gees track in um, Christian Petzold's Undine. I liked the Jefferson Airplane White Rabbit in, in The Matrix Resurrections. So did um, I. Yeah, that was good. Hannah Montana by Migos, Good and Zola. Um, Mike and the Mechanics, All I Need is a Miracle in Spencer. But the winner for me is... Um, Hot Chocolate, it started with a kiss in Limbo. Um, and it's just like, it's a great opening. Uh, it's a great opening to a movie with like um, this wonderful entry into kind of what you're about to see. This is uh, Ben Sharrock's movie about um, four refugees who are basically kind of um, all living together on like a remote Scottish island. Think kind of craggy island, kind of. There, there, there are that kind of broad characters caricatures on it. And they occasionally have to go in for like classes where they kind of learn to kind of assimilate with society. And it starts with it started with a kiss and um, Sid's Babette Knudsen, who's this great actress, is basically um, showing them how to behave around women and like another guy is coming along and like what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And then, you know, you, you kind of have these two people who are like working for the government uh, being very serious and then it keeps like cutting back to like these guys being like completely like really are we dealing with this uh it's a very funny moment it's a very good humane movie um it's it, it can be both like harrowing at times and doesn't kind of make light of the situation but it also kind of opens up that situation to a lot of people who may not be kind of fully aware of kind of like the bureaucratic nightmare that you can fall into um while also being uh, quite amusing so that's f- for me um i will run through mine really really quick uh i'm on fire at the end of pig i thought it was devastatingly beautiful uh that cover i think i know what day's number one is um i don't i don't know maybe not um can i, I before before uh, uh producer david tappy kills me sorry i forgot <laughs> to say let me roll it in licorice pizza <laughs> of course licorice I would pizza be 2022 higgs is going to release first of january 2022 Licorice it was released pizza on uh, New Year's. It was released Eve, on. Was it? No, it was released on the twenty sixth. In Ireland. Yeah. Because I looked it I up was... last night and it said the first of January. There were advanced Irish screenings. I've, I've already had this conversation okay. with Higgs, like, like on WhatsApp one day, okay. I was, I, and you were so like, "So it well, does count." Apparently, oh, Licorice Pizza is in play. Yeah. I kind of struck in it from the record. Twenty twenty two for me, no I think. Release um, date twenty seventh of December, as per the IFCO, which is what I go by. Wow. Well, there you go. There's, there some, we go. there's some sexy admin for everyone to enjoy. Um, so <laughs> Sorry, some Dave, if go. go. Um, yeah. Back on the needle drop okay. beat over here. Uh, I'm on fire from Pig. Um, the relentlessly charming Corey Hawkins doing Benny's Dispatch in In the Heights <laughs> has to get a mention because it's just so much fun. Is that fun. a needle drop? That's just a song That's in not a needle musical. Drop. <laughs> I'm, I'm crowbarring it in, okay? Um, the uh, the mystery needle drop from the end of Shadow in the Cloud, as mentioned, which I won't spoil here. Um, I uh, Real quick on Worst, um, zombie acoustic version popping up at the end of 
of Army of the Dead by Zack Snyder after a two and a half hour zombie movie. Good man. And also, I thought the cover of Wake Up, uh, the Rage Against the Machine cover at the end of Major Resurrections by Brass Against was fucking dreadful. But my number one, my actual... Will I say what I think it is? Go on, yeah, go on. I think it's from Titan. It is from Titan. And it's Future Islands. It's, it is. It's Future Island and it's Lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fuck it, let's take a listen to it. Why not? I ruined it. I ruined it. That's quite all right. Here's how it sounds. So yeah, that's a few drowns there with Lighthouse as appearing in the motion picture Titan, uh, which I have talked about on No Oxcord, I believe. Um, this is a film which I found to be very challenging in lots of ways. Uh, have we all seen it? I know you have, Norma. Higgs? I have not. It's dropping on movie tomorrow. That's March 15th. By the time this comes out, it'll be on movie for anyone who's interested. Okay, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but I will say it's very challenging. Some of the imagery is very graphic, but there is this incredible moment uh, kind of midway through the movie where this song starts up and it's very in keeping with the kind of uh, blaze, you know, kind of approach to depicting masculinity and that kind of thing. And it's I, I just it stopped me in my tracks. I was so mesmerized. Uh, I think the film actually earns it, despite the kind of more extreme natures that it goes to, um, and it made me kind of rekindle my love for that band because I think they are a great band. They can be a bit samey with each passing album release, and you can kind of put them in a box and forget about them for a while. But like, yeah, it's just I I couldn't stop listening to it in the weeks and months since. I think it's a classic song, and it's used absolutely beautifully in the film. Norma Howard. Your best needle drop, of course, is um, not that. It is not that. I I do have a runner-up. My runner-up, which you've actually already mentioned, is from Pig, I'm on Fire, the Bruce Springsteen song, as sung by actress Cassandra Violet. She plays Nicolas Cage's uh, wife in it, and she's singing it to him. It's just, that is such a beautiful song. And then when you hear her singing it, it's just like... I just get so emotional mm, <laughs> for, yeah, for almost I'm like for no reason but it is for a reason it's for a very specific reason I will also just say in conjunction to to Tan Higgs I fainted <laughs> sorry what <laughs> and I'm just like I'm just gonna say right now I did happen to watch it at home how who knows um and thankfully I was at home because I was on the floor for one specific moment i won't obviously won't go into detail no one needs to hear that but um, it's it's very intense um uh so that was my number two i do have a weird kind of like i just wanted to do side number and now that you brought up benny's dispatch i think i can say this in dune the sardauker sardauker chant needle drop (laughs) it's great can a score be a needle drop? I don't know. I mean, like, whatever. No, score, but it's songs. So score. you gave Benny's right, dispatch. Fine, 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 fine. It's a song fine. within the film. <laughs> and it's a bit of a tune. And there is someone on YouTube who's made a 10 hour loop of it. So Perfect. if it, you feel so inclined, check that out. Uh, but my number one is this. Oh, 
so good. Just be the player. Um, yeah, because I think Higgs had said, I think someone's going to pick this later on. And I think he thought it would be Dave. <laughs> I knew someone would get it. <laughs> um, someone would pick it up. Uh, yeah, I think I just, uh, this was an incredible moment in that film. And I think it was also. This I is, just of course, like, uh, I should say, in yes, our round. Sorry. And the song is What a Life by Scarlet Pleasure. Yeah, in a um, fantastic film, Another Round. I think it. It's also just like situationally in a really good place in my mind because it was like the first time I'd been back to the cinema in ages and it was the three of us plus Dahi Odroni and we all just really enjoyed <laughs> the the film in the cinema and then we all went for pints afterwards and the song was just going over and over in my head and it's just like it, it plays twice in the film actually. At the beginning and at the end. At yeah. the beginning and then at the end. And the end point with when it comes in, um, as you heard from that clip, what you really need is the visual going with that clip um, because it's incredible. And I just, I really thoroughly enjoyed that film. I thought it was fantastic. And it was just, I'd never heard that song before also, which I think is a nice kind of needle drop moment when you hear a song you haven't heard before and you're like, it just sits somewhere nicely in your head and reminds you of that film. So my number one goes to that. Uh, an excellent choice and I'm glad someone picked it because I was like oh, I want to pick it but you know I gotta have that Future Islands thing um, alright so we move on now to uh, Best Trash Higgs how would you describe this category? Um, there's kind of I suppose like a B-movie sensibility to it um, not that you're necessarily you're not getting A-listers in these movies um, they might be A-listers for in, in certain genres of these films although I think there was one that I kind of have on my like long list that definitely has an A-lister in it that is very much, uh, very much in that in that genre. So, kind of throwback movies in a way to kind of like eighties actioners, uh, always in genre. You're looking for like a crime movie, a prison movie, a um, even sci-fi, like kind of like not big grand kind of fantasy sci-fi, but like. Um, your event horizon sci-fi like dank when things walls sweat and everything <laughs> looks disgusting so hang on um, to clarify you did pick wrath of man is that correct wrath of man's my number one uh, i i did have on my my shortlist those wish me dead Angelina that's on my shortlist Joey. that's on my shortlist. um i have cop shop with jared butler and um frank grillo who i love and then one just to, one just to highlight that was a, kind of a i suppose a little bit of a pleasant surprise as well was the the remake, the reboot of uh, Wrong Turn. Does everyone, everyone remember uh, Wrong Turn? The Paul, Paul Walker was... No, Paul Walker it's, the it's Eliza Dushku. I think Desmond Harrington is in that movie as well. Oh, God, yeah. So, okay, I'm way, I'm way off. Yes, it is Eliza Dushku. Yeah, um, Jeremy Sisto. Okay, so this is like an updated version of it. Um, with basically no one that you'll really recognise. Matthew Modine kind of appears towards the end um and it's just like a bunch of people are out for a hike and they out in the appalachians and just end up near this like encampment full of people who've just been like living off the land for a while it's really really gnarly there's some absolutely disgusting kills in this but it's uh, a really really strong one and there's a great kind of lead performance by the, the kind of head of the tribe by he the only thing I can remember is he played like one of the other guys in American Psycho. He he was like one of the one of Bateman's friends. Um, 
Bill Sage is the actor's name. Literally can't like place him in anything else. But like, I used to watch American Psycho so much when I was a teenager because I was cool. Uh, that like I immediately like uh, recognized him. He plays a character called Ram Skull, so that's the kind of thing you're you're dealing with in this movie. Um, yeah, tremendous. How about you, Dave? Uh, my number one goes to this. When I was young, something happened to me. Saying that. Who are you talking to? Gabriel. Is he your imaginary friend? He's back. That's right. It's James Wan's *Malignant*, and I was hoping to get one of those TV spots that, like the YouTube spots that kept ending with like someone's going malignant as if it was like a Resident Evil game because there was loads of those two in the rounds um, have either of you seen malignant because I don't want to spoil it if you haven't I have not okay. I have not okay um, well, I'm also I'm not a big I think like horror the incredible like description that Higgs gave there of trash is not necessarily films I watch but this is this is like super schlock and this is like it's so clear James Wan was like you know after the billion dollar success of Aquaman and other stuff he's worked on it's very very clear that the studio were like what do you want to do in between making the next Aquaman movie and he was like how about this and they're like yeah sure here's a budget because it's so like it's simultaneously commercial because I think it did okay but like and he is the kind of king of taking a small budget and making it into a fucking 100 million dollar movie but it's so clear that this was a passion project for him right down to like casting his wife in one of the roles like as someone who's not a great actor but um it's mental Annabelle Wallace plays a character who is besieged by some kind of supernatural situation and the more the film goes on and when the truth is revealed it just takes such a completely insane turn and it I think it justifies it. Um, if you don't know the twist, then just go in blind. I don't think it's perfect or anything. I think I gave it like three out of five. But like the fact that it exists at all, and it is an ode to trash cinema, it is such a clear example of a filmmaker. And of course, James Wan came to, came to fame like by making like Saw and stuff. So him going back to his roots in a very, very kind of interesting way. And there's some sequences in this film that are like, full on like 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 you're just like like you're like whoa jesus christ like yeah so it's a kind of a miracle of a film even though it's not amazing and it's got this weird kind of knowing throwback thing where like some of the scenes appear to be almost like acted badly on purpose so it's kind of like yeah i get it james you're like you're really kind of doing this kind of meta thing here but at the same time everyone's up for it and it goes places so yeah malignant trash central go for it norma what you got um, so I feel like I struggle with this category each year uh, in my aforementioned. I don't think the, again, the amazing description that Higgs gave. I think I just, I'm never attracted to those films, which is why in the coming year, I think I need to challenge you both to get me to go see more well, now, trash. Now that the cinemas are back open, Tuesday nights will we'll book films. it in, the whole, the whole gang. Yeah. Fantastic. I'll see some grime. Because I was even looking at, we do have like a, sh- a long list of films from the last year. And looking through those, I'm like, there's probably th- maybe three on that long list. That I could be like, are those those are like the trash films. Um, I did pick one, though. And I picked it also mainly because I wanted to be able to get this in somewhere. Um, and I didn't know where else I could fit it in. But I did, in fact, pick Zack Snyder's Justice Story. League. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, in that it's 
it doesn't meet the criteria of trash necessarily, but I feel like the the kind of superhero film that it is could kind of maybe maybe it's like adjacent. Um, I also just wanted to be able to mention it because I actually for what a difficult time it was getting that film to screen um, or not even screen, sorry, to home screens as it was up on Amazon. Uh, four hours long. I took a break in between. But you know what? I actually enjoyed it. And I had I had a time watching it. Um, I never watched the Joss Whedon one. So I don't know how bad that was. But I'm going with the assumption of everyone else's. Yeah, it was very, very bad. And I did actually find with this Justice League, I actually like there was moments in it that I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, It's obviously way too long. Some of it looks disgusting. But like some moments of it are actually quite good. And I think like Ray Fisher gets um, gets his shot at actually getting to play Cyborg again. I didn't see Joss Whedon's one, but from the discourse that I know of around the film, I think he was heavily cut out of the other Justice League. And like there's obviously a lot of difficult um, things happening around that in general. And I am actually, I am glad that Zack Snyder got to finish his Justice League and he got to make it and he got to put it out into the world and it was made in the form that it was and the way that he wanted it to be. Um, And I do think there's a lot of like redeeming things and moments in it. Um, So I felt like it, I, I felt like I wanted to give it a place somewhere. That's fair. I mean, I, I have a soft spot for it, and I would agree yeah. with you. I mean, like, there is a toxic fan base there, but at the same time, I, especially after what Zack Snyder kind of went through in terms of losing his daughter and, like, a very long interview I read with him, I, I find it very hard to root against the guy. Uh, he apparently has got a very good reputation amongst actors, unlike Joss Whedon. Um, and the fact that it exists at all is kind of a minor miracle. It's a weird curio. Higgs and I simul-watched it on the day of release, like all four hours of it straight. As in, like, we had a call <laughs> to each other and we're like, We were like, texting each other play. every now and then, yeah, pretty much. We were texting uh, we, every time there was a, a, an insanely on-the-nose Nick Cave needle oh, drop. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think I was like, <laughs> I was like, prepare for an unreal needle drop in about five seconds. Yeah, no, um, I think it has its place in the world, to be fair and I mean maybe a dangerous precedent has been set in terms of demands going forward but who knows um, but let's move forward uh, we're coming into the last uh, categories now um, so yeah it's been a long one but we'll keep going uh, best group slash ensemble slash cast performance let's stay with you Norma um, so again I've got three I could not really decide on the order of these so I'm just going to say them and then I don't know listeners can decide themselves on what they think but from an ensemble cast performance nature the power of the dog I think has to be up there I think it's got like four five-ish like lead actors lead actors but uh, I don't know there's performances in it ensemble is the word um, that are fantastic and I think they all really well like support each other throughout it I think everyone's a kind of a team player as much as I know obviously people are singling out Benedict Cumberbatch on that but like I do think he is propped up by those other actors um I think Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst didn't get actually sorry Kirsten Dunst is nominated for best 
forward she to. Is, yeah. She, she yeah, is, yeah. She is. Sorry. So is Plemons. He is as well. Okay, so maybe they yeah. are getting all a good shake. I take that back. <laughs> I'm thrilled. Just because I actually, I did think Jesse Plemons was um, incredible in it. I thought it was just such a touching performance. Him and Kristen Dunst, obviously they're married in real life, but just beautiful chemistry, stunning that on scene screen. where he Where they're dancing. In his face and he says, I was just thinking about how nice it is not to be alone. I was like, oh my God. Like. Um, and it's so weird to think that that part was originally meant to be played by Paul Dano and Elizabeth Moss and Paul Dano dropped out to do Riddler and Elizabeth Moss I don't know for whatever reason it, it just didn't whatever reason she had to drop out um, I'm so glad that those other two actors Jesse Plemons and Kristen Dunst are in it because they're just fantastic um, Cody Schmidt McPhee is brilliant as well like just all round um, even from like the smaller kind of key players in it are fantastic as well. Um, the other film that I thought the ensemble was fantastic is Limbo. Um, Higgs had mentioned it earlier. Really small but powerful film. Um, there's two lead actors in it who are fantastic, but again, it really is like the sum of its parts. It's the entire cast. And I think also within the cast, there are people who are non-actors who were cast, who've potentially kind of like, I guess it's it's kind of people going through the, I don't know what it's called in the UK, but kind of the direct provision-esque system when they get sent to this remote island in Scotland. So I do think some of the people who are in it have potentially gone through that system, um, who were brought in. And it's just such a moving film, so fantastic. And again, I just think it's overall the cast, everyone, even like the people who get maybe one or two scenes are just so affecting throughout it as well it's fantastic and then my last one it goes to uh, Petite Maman um, Celine Sciamma film um, there's two young girls who I at first I thought maybe they were doing like a Freaky Friday thing and it was um, not Freaky Friday what's the film with Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap there we go I Parent thought they trap. were doing a Parent Trap thing where it was one actress but it, they are actually twins the Sand Sisters, yes. Yeah, and they are, oh my God, beautiful. Just, <laughs> just What a film. Absolutely fucking beautiful. And then between, um, I just, I advise anyone to watch it. It's up on Mubi. All her films are gorgeous. Um, but it's uh, a young girl whose um, grandmother has passed away. She's eight seven or eight um, her grandmother has passed away and her mother's quite unwell they go to the countryside to clear out the grandmother's house she goes off into the woods one day and she ends up meeting a girl the same age who looks exactly like her and they develop a friendship and then she discovers that it's actually am I going to ruin the film yeah don't yeah, 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 yeah. I won't ruin the film don't okay spoil it. there's a it's twist like 70, it's like 76 minutes long <laughs> yeah I mean I would I, I mean it's only the title of the movie but in French <laughs> <laughs> um, but those two girls are stunning the the guy who plays I don't know his name offhand who plays their father is really sweet as well and the mother and the grandmother just all of it like again really small cast really contained film like it's only really set in and around one one area uh, I think Mubi at the moment actually have kind of a, a Celine Sciamma retrospective going on where they have like Portrait of a Lady on Fire Water Lilies is in there as well she also wrote the screenplay for an animated film that's French-Swedish she didn't direct it but she wrote the screenplay called My Life is a Courgette that I absolutely adore and I would highly recommend anyone else watching it as well it's um, stop motion clay animation beautiful stunning um, and I just thought Petite Maman like 
every every single actor who's in it because there's only maybe about 10 people in it yeah less there's like seven actors in the entire thing and they are all fantastic in the roles they play and those those two young girls are stunning so oh, they're magnificent I, I love that film so so much I must get around to Water Lilies I haven't actually seen it but Scene and Scamma is incredible um, for my ensemble uh, I could have picked another round I could have picked Riders of Justice also Mads Mikkelsen like that, a very strange film but a hell of a core cast could have picked Minari but Norma has beaten me to this The Power of the Dog is my is my gold standard here because I do think that the four leads are equal like they, they struck me as equals I think Benedict Cumberbatch is absolutely incredible in this, but like I think the more I think about this film, the more it is such it's driven so strongly by the unity of that cast. And I think each player, uh all of them are fucking magnificent. Arguably career best stuff from all of them. It's just so compelling, so brilliant. They own the screen, they own the characters, uh hell of a performance by all of them. So uh good job on the casting department there for for the power of the dog. Higgs, who you got? Um, I'm feeling bad for not mentioning Power of the Dog now because it also has some like kind of even outside of that main four you have Thompson McKenzie, Keith Carradine, Francis Conroy like it's it's a very well rounded outcast. Um, I've two to mention. I'm kind of taking a different approach. Kind of I think last year like or was it the year before like Uncut Gems is my staple of like Jesus casting director. You have like gone everywhere to get people and you've like made this incredible cast from you know a-list celebrities um unknowns uh character actors people you haven't seen in a long time uh first one that jumps out is obviously licorice pizza um having alana heim and cooper hoffman who've never acted in a movie before as your two leads is like a bold move and it 100 pays off they're incredible then rounding it out with these like not so much cameo but like supporting performances from a-listers like sean penn and bradley cooper is great and then there's just like some really good just like way down below the line casting tom waits has a scene that is remarkable um skylar gazondo who's like this young actor who's popped up in (laughs) vacation and a couple of other things is great benny safty shows up and is really good and then there's like this like scene stealer from Harriet Sanson Sansom Harris, who's like um Gary Valentine's agent and like he yeah, he brings in Alana with him and she just has like this insane scene where she's like being incredibly hypercritical of uh of Alana and it's um it's fantastic, it's really, really good. But the winner for me, um mostly because it kind of like got people from everywhere and I loved the choice of uh the lead in it is no sudden move uh the new soderbergh movie or one of the new soderbergh movies there's probably been a couple since um this is him kind of going back to kind of like crime heists um set in detroit in the i think the 50s but anyway um don Cheadle in the lead like someone who's kind of been relegated to being like the 10th build in a Marvel movie for like too long. And you forget how good Don Cheadle is. He carries the screen remarkably well. Um, he's sharing the co-lead with Benito del Toro, who's fantastic. And then you just kind of have like David Harbour, John Hamm, um, Ray Liotta again, Brendan Fraser showing up and being amazing as kind of like a mob enforcer, which is like completely against what you'd expect of Brendan Fraser. Um, the great Bill Duke, 
has a scene in this. Uh, he seems to be kind of a favorite of Soderbergh. And then you kind of have like some up and coming people. Kieran Culkin's in it. Noah Jupe, uh, Julia Fox, pre-Kanye. And then it being Steven Soderbergh, he can kind of have like a surprise cameo because he's got like the ultimate Rolodex. Um, I'm not saying it's like a perfect film by any means, but like very watchable. And I just like love how he kind of assembled his squad. All right. Um, in that, with that in mind, we'll move on to supporting performance. Uh, so I could have picked for this, uh, could have picked Paul Racy from Sound of Metal, but I didn't, which I think is a 2021 film, even though it is. Yeah, I feel like it's for us. Might have first existed in 2019 somehow, maybe possibly or early 2020. Um, I want to throw a shout out to Dan Stevens in I'm Your Man. Uh, I think he learned German for this role, and it, like this is just the, no end to the man's talents. Uh, a really nice film, which I would recommend people watch. About um, he plays a cyborg who is designed to be like the perfect partner, and there's a woman at the center of this, and she's doing like an experiment on it. She's essentially kind of like you know, against her like, better kind of wishes, she agrees to kind of put up with him for a couple of weeks, really, and just to kind of you know, in advance dismisses the project. But of course, you know, things change and you know, it's about relationships, it's about loneliness, it's about loss, it's about love, it's about all these things. Uh, and of course, you know, it's set in Germany, so I'm sure Higgs will be on board if he hasn't already seen it. Um, good film, great ending. And Dan Stevens, yeah, like someone who I'm like, this guy can do everything. Uh, just continues to prove it, really. But uh, my, my number one pick for best supporting performance in a film goes to this actor. You knew what would happen to me should you lose this duel. You knew and you didn't tell me. God will not punish those who tell the truth. My fate and our child's fate will be written not by God's will, but by which old man will tire first. How dare you speak to me this way? What if I to lose? I begged you to find another way and now I might be burned alive. I am risking my life for you. Hmm. You are risking my life so you can fight your enemy and save your pride. And that could render our child an orphan. What did you not think of that? That's Jodie Comer in The Last Jewel, uh, Ridley Scott's, uh, the first of his two flops of 2021. Um, a film that is not without its problems, for sure, but I found it to be very compelling, uh, certainly visually, uh, in a lot of ways, very visceral in places. Uh, I think the performances are pretty strong across the board, but I think Jodie Comer arguably has the hardest job in the film, maybe the most important job in the film, and she steals it for me. I thought she was absolutely fantastic. Uh, her perspective is the most important in the movie and she sells every single scene that she's in across all different perspectives and kind of holds the film together perfectly. Uh, I think you said months ago, Higgs, like she's clearly a superstar and yeah, very much so off the back of this. I haven't seen her in, I haven't seen Killing Eve. I probably should get around to it, but she's amazing. Well, she's, she's in a movie, Dave, you might want to see called Free, Free Guy. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I hear. Um, yeah, she's amazing. Um, long may she reign, basically. That's my choice. Uh, an excellent choice. Um, I actually kind of have her in the long list for lead performance because it's kind of like there's three leads in that movie. Um, on my short list for supporting, um, same movie, Ben Affleck's performance in that is absolutely wild. So much fun. Loved it. Um, I also have Cody Smith McPhee in Power of the Dog and Ruth Negga in Passing. Um, she's phenomenal in that. But my... Um, my favorite supporting performance of the year um and i'm kind of giving him an extra bit of a bump because he's also the best thing in a movie that kind of didn't quite work for me 
is Coleman Domingo as X in Zola. Um, good God, this is like a remarkable performance. Um, yeah, he he kind of he plays this. Uh, you know, someone is going to be he's got somewhat shady character, but is like very very uh, gregarious and seems like kind of a fun guy to hang out with. Like incredibly well dressed. Um, seems like the life of the party, and. I find Colin Domingo just like an immensely watchable character who's just like exudes charisma. But there's also a point in the movie where like the switch goes and he becomes um, someone entirely different and becomes absolutely terrifying. Um, it was a absolutely shocking performance. Um, I also want to mention that he's probably the best thing in Candyman. Uh, it has to do kind of like a lot of exposition in it, but is great. And yeah, he's an actor who's been around for years at this stage but kind of seems to be kind of coming to the forefront now i think he's he's also in euphoria which i again haven't watched but um i just love seeing like someone who's been kind of chugging away at things for years and years and is finally kind of getting the recognition i loved him in beale street he was like again like polar opposite to kind of what i loved about him his performance in in zola where he was this like incredibly caring tender father to tish um yeah, just really, really exciting character actor, um, which is kind of what you want in your supporting performance. Definitely. Norma, who you got? Um, so I also have a double header. I couldn't quite decide. Um, so I'm just going to give it to both. So my first one is Jodie Comer in The Last Duel. Um, I just thought she was like so disarming, just heartbreakingly beautiful. She's incredible. She is the center point of that entire film. It's a little bit annoying that like, whilst they marketed it as like a medieval Me Too film, so much of the press was centered around, it's Ben Affleck and Matt Damon back together again. And I'm just like, if this is about her story. Um, And whilst it's told from all three perspectives, I think she gives an incredible performance in all three perspectives. Um, I'd like, I don't know how it was shot, but it just like, even just taking into account what she would have had to go through to film all those different things is utterly incredible. She is fascinating to watch on screen. You just can't stop watching her. It's like, there's like a light just glowing out of her. Um, and yeah, I think it's kind of disappointing that she's been kind of like a little bit swept under the carpet of that film because it, it obviously bombed in cinemas and then, Ridley Scott started making all his mad comments and then <laughs> Ben Affleck really. started saying things and then Matt Damon started saying things and she's just quietly sat in the corner and been like, look, I'm just here to do the acting and do my job. And I just thought she deserved to get that recognition, which she hasn't done out of this film. Um, and then kind of dually, um, I have also chosen Jesse Buckley in The Lost Daughter. Um, I really liked this film. I feel like it, it was very um, polarizing for a lot of people. Olivia Coleman is absolutely fantastic in it. And I think she got an awful lot of praise that maybe at first I thought was going to sh- overshadow Jesse Buckley. And then I saw she got nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. And I was just so, so thrilled. She's an incredible actor and has made some really interesting choices in her career. Like The Lost Daughter came out and then she announced that she was doing Cabaret on the West End with Eddie Redmayne. And by all accounts, that's going fantastically as well. She's just, um, again, just someone who I think is a star. I think she just, she's fascinating to watch on screen. She 
even though she's kind of play she's playing um a younger version of Olivia Coleman's character so it's taught like the film is in kind of two halves so you could technically argue that she's a lead performance in a way but obviously they were positioning Olivia Coleman for that she's just it's just really interestingly done. I don't want to give too away too much about it because I don't know if you guys has, have seen the last one. I don't know if I you have to, any interest have. in She's it. Remarkable. Yeah, Not, like just, you could arguably have like all the female uh, supports here. Yeah, because also Dakota Johnson is fantastic in this film as well. I think it's it's a really really strong debut from Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, Jesse Buckley plays ultimately kind of like a horrible. Like, it's not a very nice character. It's not someone you particularly want to root for. She is weird and does encapsulate this sort of like, she calls herself an unnatural mother through it, which I think Jesse Buckley embodies perfectly. And also just makes you feel really actually genuinely sorry for her character and um, feel a lot of empathy for them. So I just thought she was... Fantastic. I don't think she'll win the Oscar, but I'm absolutely thrilled she got nominated and it is getting more of a Hollywood sort of um, lens thrown on her. Uh, we'll move now to lead performance. And this is a tough one because uh, there was a lot you could throw in here and it was a hard decision, but I've gone with my gut. I've gone with my favorite actor. Uh, I think this could be his most complete performance, if that's fair to say. Um, despite the fact that there was lots of strong competition, I simply cannot look past Mads Mikkelsen in another round. I think it's just a devastatingly brilliant performance that showcases all of his range, uh, everything from what he doesn't show you to what he does, uh, his restraint, his physicality when he gets to kind of unleash a little bit at the end. Um, there's one scene in particular early on in the film where he is out for a friend's birthday party and they notice that he's not having a great time or they ask him and he just flat out explains that he is not having a great time and it's devastating it's just him sitting at a table you know drinking red wine and tearing up and he plays it so perfectly uh i i really do think that there's you know whatever about dan stevens and my praise that gone just there Maz Mikkelsen is like top tier this guy can do anything and i think in a project like this uh where it kind of rests on his shoulders to kind of take you through the layers of complexity of the characters involved. He does it so perfectly. He hits every emotional beat incredibly. He closes off the film. Uh, we heard the song earlier on the plays in just completely euphoric, iconic, you know, to use that overused word kind of way. Uh, I, I, I love everything he does. He rarely puts a foot wrong. And in this film, he just mesmerized me and captivated me from start to finish. Uh, yeah, I mean, like there's lots of other ones you could pick and maybe they'll come up next, but it's Mads for me. Norma, who do you have? I think I have a clip. You do have a clip. I do have a clip. And we can hear it right now. Derek, why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. They don't even know you. Because you haven't shown them. Every day you'll wake up and there'll be less of you. You live your life for them and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. So that was, of course, Nicolas Cage in the film Pig. Um, as I just, I, I feel like there's always like a, a weird thing with Nicolas Cage because we don't know where he's at, what he's going to come out with, what kind of performance it'll be. He's much maligned in the media at times. Um, so when I sat down to watch Pig, I was just 
I feel like I've used this word already, but I was really disarmed by just how endearing he was in this film. Like, it's just a beautiful performance. Like Higgs previously mentioned, it's just not what you expect. Or maybe, sorry, maybe Dave, you had said it about how, like, it, like you think it's going to be this kind of John Wick-esque type film of this man trying to get his pig back and it's going to be all crazy and insane over the top Nicolas Cage style thing. But it's not. When you strip it down, it's just so beautiful so touching um a man who has lost a lot of things in his life I don't again I don't want to give away too much because I do really if anyone's listening to this who hasn't seen pig please do watch it it's just so beautiful so moving I'm pretty sure I cried at the end it was just so sweet and again when you strip it back down to everything it's just people being human at their very core and just trying to live life and get through things and to find love and be loved and it was just so beautiful a really tender performance and I just feel like he the film itself and his performance in it hasn't gotten any praise or like awards buzz around it which is exceptionally disappointing so why not give it to him here (laughs) yeah no it's uh, arguably career best performance from him and i was floored by this and floored by his performance and i wept like a fucking baby over those end credits um very hard to not pick him but i had to go with mads i'm glad you went with him higgs who you got um, both of those would have been um, very worthy number ones for me, uh, particularly Nicolas Cage. Like I think the thing about him is, is that he's an incredibly committed craftsman. It's just sometimes he's kind of not put in the situations <laughs> where that comes across as bad because of the movie that he's in. And something like Pig is perfect. Um, I went with Kristen Stewart. Um, I loved her in Spencer, kind of raved about it a bit before. Um She's been doing really interesting work kind of on the surface and in indies for a while, particularly with Olivier Assayas. And while I'm not calling this a blockbuster movie, and she's certainly picked, made poor choices when it comes to making blockbuster movies, this is a pretty high profile movie, even if it's kind of on a small scale, just because of who she's playing. And, um, you know, the spotlight is really, really on her. This is a movie that very seldom kind of moves away from her being in the frame. And I just thought she was amazing. All the kind of things that I've liked about her, this seemed like the perfect fit um, in how good she is at kind of portraying insular feelings. Um, I thought she did this here remarkably. She also like uh, was able to bounce off the rest of the cast quite well particularly the kids who uh, who play William and Harry there's like lovely touching tender moments there um just phenomenal kind of across the board um and yeah again there was plenty that could have gone here I think there was like some genuinely remarkable performances as well I mentioned Cumberbatch Adam Driver as much as we didn't love Annette is a great performance Tessa Thompson in passing um so yeah, uh, Chris and Stewart just barely. Like I, I could have picked Mads, but I figured you probably would. Um, so want to get some shine on everyone, you know? That's fair. Well, look, I'll take us into best movie and I'll pour further praise because it's another round for me. It is the best movie of 2021. I think in a different year, it's it's Pig or it's Petit Maman. Um, all of these films to me are of a piece in that they are all incredible 
uh, illustrations of empathy and humanity and just like what the human spirit can achieve and that goes to everything on the camera in front of the camera and also behind it uh, I think another round to me just edges it because I just think it's such a beautiful beautiful piece of work uh, in a very specific way um, I think it is life affirming um, I understand that it shows you know kind of the downsides to uh, getting absolutely hammered and you know your professional personal life spiraling out of control but at the same time, I do think it is a life-affirming picture. Um, I think it's a very communal thing. And also, I Norma mentioned earlier on, but like I, I, I can't help but think about the second time I saw this film, which was in the cinema with you and Dahi and, and Higgs. And it was like, I was so happy to be there with my friends and to live vicariously through you guys as well, like watching this film that I'd already seen and like seeing you guys kind of like laugh at the funny parts and kind of get sad at the sad parts. It just felt like a, like a really beautiful moment with my friends and like even going for pints afterwards like that's a day I won't forget and it's just like it felt completely powered by the film supercharged in that way and I think that's what the film is about I think it is about the friendships and life that you have and kind of the the good times the bad times and it's just so perfectly put together and of course then you get into the backstory of it and how Thomas Vinterberg he spoke so eloquently and beautifully at the Oscars last year when it won best international feature and because the Oscars was so kind of weirdly put together he actually had the time to do so and he told the world about how his young daughter had passed away in a tragic accident. The film was written for her. She was supposed to be in it. She loved the movie. Everyone kind of came together. Like, these are all his friends, like Mads Mikkelsen and Thomas Bell Larson and the rest of the cast. And they, like, made... The, like, they got this thing over the line that could very... Just as easily have been thrown out. Um, and somehow it became this kind of monument to this to this person. And there's just so much in that as well. Um, I think it's a magnificent, magnificent film. And it was such a pleasure to watch it with my friends. So it's got to be another round for me. That's my number one. Uh, whoever wants to go next, can go next. <laughs> Try follow that. Well, will I, will I follow on and say that it's also number one for me as well? <laughs> uh, easily. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I can really top what you said there. Apart from, um, yeah, like the, going to see that, I think like the last two years in many ways when you kind of look back on them have just kind of been this weird stasis of like you know time not moving the way it should and everything seeming the same and I think the thing is that you will remember is like the couple of moments of standout and going to see another round was just like oh god I feel alive again and um yeah that's the that's the power of uh cinema that's the power of this medium that i don't think kind of you know sitting at home watching on tv or watching a tv show could do but that com- kind of communal experience being with your friends um watching like a towering <laughs> masterpiece about friendship essentially and about kind of living your life um yeah it was just utterly stunning i can't wait to revisit it it's like a must have um and i look forward to many years of watching it this is going to be so awkward now if Norma hasn't fixed it. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> After all that towering masterpiece. Uh, free of Guy, my number one movie of the year. <laughs> um, it is up there because I did, I did actually really, really struggle with what I thought was the best movie of 2021. And like we'd previously mentioned, it wasn't an incredible year for cinema. And a lot of my favorite choices were actually just smaller, weirder films that aren't going to get their mainstream success that people aren't necessarily going to watch. So I also feel like maybe I should just take this opportunity to give them all I can. So um, another round is in there, as well as The Power of the Dog, because I did really, really enjoy that film and I thought it was um, incredibly well made, 
well directed, well acted, looks absolutely gorgeous. And I think it probably will get best film. Um, judging by the mood and where everything is going, I think it'll probably get best film at the Oscars. Um, I also had Limbo in there, as I've previously mentioned. Um, I just thought it was an incredibly beautiful film. It's incredibly relevant and um, kind of essential right now. I don't think there's enough films being made about um, this type of subject matter. And it does really help you understand a different perspective of thing. Um, and some the kind of art that we really should be trying to engage with. Um, particularly with everything that's going on right now. And I just um, I just thought it was a really, really beautiful, well-made film. Um, it deals with a really heavy subject matter, but does it actually has a lot of like really lovely light comedy moments in it. And the two kind of center performances are just really, really beautiful as well. Um, absolutely gorgeous. And I think I just I can't say it enough. Please go watch Limbo. I'm pretty sure it's on movie. I think that's where I watched it. Um, it is, I think. Fantastic. Everyone, everyone just get a subscription to movie and then go watch several of the films I'm telling you to go watch. <laughs> um, but the two films that are tied for best movie of uh, 2021 for me are The Green Knight and Pig. Um, I feel like they they feel like very opposing films. Um, but I don't know, maybe at the center of it, it's just people trying to find who they are, what they want in life. And finding something to care for and someone to care for them. Um, I just think The Green Knight was an incredible watch. And again, I think it's just because I didn't expect anything from it and I was really blown away by it. Beautiful cinematography, really well directed, um, some really interesting performances in there and just a genuinely interesting adaptation of that kind of story. And I think is kind of a benchmark for that type of adaptation going forward in my opinion and pig again like I said just really really beautiful I didn't I wasn't expecting it I knew a couple of people had been like oh I think it's good like you should watch it and I just didn't expect to be as touched by it as I was it looks it looks gorgeous it's extremely well paced which is I think a massive problem that uh with a lot of the films even from 2021 in general um directors and I don't know screenwriters to an extent are losing a sense of how to actually pace a film and tell a story and keep someone invested and actually build you to a point and to um, an emotional cathartic moment I think Pig handles that so incredibly well even though it feels like a long film it actually is paced exceptionally well and um, a lot of great performances around it as well not just Nicolas Cage um, and also just anytime anyone's going to play I'm on fire. I'm going to be in bits. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> nice. It's a, it's a sweet sentiment to end it on. Man, it's been a long episode, but it, it's been a long time since we've done an episode, so I think that's okay. I guess in signing off, uh, what I would say is looking ahead, um, had we recorded this a few months ago, my kind of film I'm looking forward to the most this year would have been The Batman, but I've already seen it, so I'll go with uh, Andrew Dominic's Blonde, which I hope lands pretty soon. Uh, and as for what I don't want to see, uh, any sequel to Red Notice takes my takes my kind of no-interest bug there. Higgs, what are you looking forward to? Not looking um, forward to? Well, I also, one of my things I was looking forward to, I have seen, which was Jackass Forever, which was an absolute delight. Absolutely loved it. Saw it the way it's supposed to be seen with a crowd of men in their mid-30s and a bag of cans. Um, <laughs> absolutely great time. 
Um, aside from that, two just to note. Um, I'm a, I am also excited about Blonde. Uh, nope, the new uh Jordan Peele movie, uh, reuniting with Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and Stephen Yeun. Um, I don't really know a whole lot about this, but I kind of feel like that's a good thing. Um, us didn't really work for me, but at the same time, it was like a good cinema going experience. And I just realised today, not to get too nerdy on it, but Hoyt Van Hoytema, who's like Christopher Nolan's guy is shooting it, which is like, oh, is it kind of going to be a lot bigger in scope than maybe Jordan Peele has done before, which in itself is exciting. Um, the other one is Martin Scorsese's adaptation of Killers of the Flower Moon, if it gets released. Um, it's based on a David Grant novel, uh, novel uh, non-fiction book that I read a couple of years ago. It's remarkable. It's an incredible story. And Jesse Plemons in the lead. We've been sharing the praise. He's been kind of like a great, supporting actor and he was at first i think this was leo in the lead and they switched they him out roles, and i'm yeah. delighted by that um just to get like was a there rumor of brendan fraser being in it possibly yeah he could, he i could feel fit like in, there was like a fraser comeback that's been like in the works and then his name was like dropped in at one point as potentially being in it he he, having played like a tough heavy in the fifties, he could easily slot in as someone in the kind of like the early days of the FBI. So um, yeah, very very excited for that. So that's that's my two. I'm not excited for whatever Marvel multiverses are happening. Um, I watched all of the movies that came out last year at home, which I believe is where those movies are destined for now. I don't think there's any difference in terms of scale and scope between their TV shows and their movies. So for, yeah, me, just not hyped for whatever is coming down the line. Nice. Nice depressing note to end things on. Norma, what about you before, um, before we sign off? I am not excited for Knives Out 2. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. It's coming. Um, Sorry to derail things. Are you disgusted, Dave, that is now on the Leaving Cert syllabus, Knives Out? Yeah, I'm very, very unhappy about that. In but what capacity? As a, like, comparative... I guess. They've updated the text in terms of, like, their films and stuff, and they've thrown in some really good stuff, like Maradona's in there and a whole bunch of others, but, like, yeah, Knives Out is on there for some reason. Don't ask me. All right. Relax. Sorry, Norman. Um, Also, just (laughs) off the basis of, um, I went to see The Batman last week, and there was a trailer for a film that looked like utter shit called The Outfit with Mark Rylance and Johnny Flynn. Um... It looked like fifties mob based thing, but uh, Mark Rylance plays um, a tailor of suits, and uh, he gets involved in the mob because they hide guns in his tailor's shop. It looked so fucking shit. The entire t- trailer also takes place like every single shot was inside his store like there was no shots of the outside world, which makes me fear that it's potentially adapted from a play and is actually all going to take place in the one fucking room and Mark Rylance is on thin fucking ice at the moment (laughs) and I am like I it looked beyond bad um so I'm not excited for that also as a weird side note uh this came up and someone was like was this film not already made they are remaking in the in my theme of I hate remakes cheaper by the dozen is being remade and coming out this year with Zach Braff and Gabrielle Union. And I have no fucking idea why. No, thank you. Why mess with a classic? <laughs> um, in films that I am excited for, I think Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is due to come out this year. Part one, yeah. I think, part I think it's one. Part now, I'm it? pretty yeah. excited for that. I think it could Definitely. be, yeah, it's yeah. it could be a good one based off what's come before. So I'm pretty thrilled. I had the Batman in there. 
it is <laughs> whatever that means now. I also I am excited to see Don't Worry Darling, which is Olivia Wilde's second feature film starring uh, Florence Pugh, Harry Styles. Um, I think it, it like I've seen some shots for it. I think it could be cool. I quite like Florence Pugh. I did. I enjoyed Booksmart. So I'm interested to see as a director what she does next. Cool. And as for what we'll do next, we'll decide that because this has been an epic. So we need to kind of retool and regroup. Hope we'll be back sooner than another few months. I'm sure it'll be it'll be it'll be a lot tighter next time. Uh, we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, uh, Norma Howard, Dave Higgins, thank you both very very much for going through your highlights and lowlights of 2021 on the cinematic front. And thank you, listener, if you made it all the way through this episode. I like long podcasts sometimes; they can be fun. Um, okay, so that's it. We're gonna go now. Bye bye. See ya. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.